This episode of the Socks and Sandals podcast is brought to you by Mr. OK's Essentials. Mr. OK's is 100% black owned. Uh, you all have heard, if you haven't heard, the owner, the creator of Mr. OK's Essentials was on the Socks and Sandals podcast episode 101. So check it out. But uh, Mr. OK's provides 100% natural candles, body butter, and soap. Okay? 100% natural ingredients, 100% black owned, and 100% vibes and love poured into every product. All right, now go to the website, www.mrokesessentials.com. In the checkout, enter promo code SOCKS to receive 10% off your next order, okay? Once again, go to the website, get your candles, get your butter, get your soap, get right, and enter promo code SOCKS, S-O-X, and receive 10% off your next order. The darkest things about us are the shadows of our hips. We're never hidden in corners or kissed in secret. Men are proud to have us. Eager to use us as accessories to decorate a rap star like platinum. We become hip-hop ballads. They say we're easier on the eyes. Like dark is too rough and callous to be beautiful. Like black is only here to make us shine a little brighter. We're praised for being exotic. They're amused when trying to guess which part of our blood makes us so attractive. You're so pretty. What are you mixed with? Like it's never good enough to be just black. Nothing great in a bloodline that can't be traced to ghostly grandfathers. We're considered worth for the white we might be. The darker your pigment, the more steeped you are in stereotype. Look like you got an attitude. Look like you got no class. Look like you're not worth your weight in coal. And if there's no place for women obscured in deeper tones, they have always been placed below us. Society has only given them second glances. They're condemned to the dark. While we wear our skin like a sheet of diamonds, just in the assurance that we're worth more. The people around us covet us like jewels. Their perception of us never fails to let us know. Black might be beautiful, but light skin is the right skin. It doesn't occur to them that some of the most gorgeous stones are obsidian, opal, onyx. People will tell you to bleach your brow, wash your black, erase your dark. Like our diluted tones are worth lending us privilege. Like there isn't brilliance emanating from your pores. Like the mahogany of your skin isn't perfect. Our absence of color doesn't make us magnificent. Beauty can never be found in just one spot on the grayscale. It's, it's the, the deepest, deepest shades that, that paint, paint the, the best, best portrait. portrait. What up, what up? I want to welcome you all back to the Socks and Sandals podcast where society, culture, history, and religion collide. And we unapologetically discuss our worldviews. It's your guy, Emmanuel. I'm not in the kitchen. I'm in the lab, man. We at K-Boo, Southeast Portland, straight off Burnside, you know what I'm talking about? And I got the homie with me, man. We go back, go back to Mob C, man, Mount Olivet Days. Probably way before that. I don't really know how far back we go, but we go back, man. If, and if y'all... Y'all been down since day one. You know who I'm sitting with, man. We she was on episode three and four. We did two episodes, didn't we? We did. Yeah, me, you, and Mondo. Mm-hmm. Um, my sister, Valdosta State <laughs> University, or y'all may know her as Valerie Jackson. Say what's up to the people. What's up? What's up, y'all? Val, how you doing? I'm good. I'm really good. Yeah. Yeah. How's how how's it how's it feel to go to upgrade from the kitchen? <laughs> it's to a the big lab? step. Yeah. It's a big step. Yeah. You know. If you're not taking steps forward, you're taking steps backwards. That's a fact. That's so a fact. This is this is a big step forward. So. Word, word. But yeah, yeah, episode three and four. I know. So, yeah. so crazy. Sound quality was terrible, <laughs> but the conversation was great. That's true. I think we was one mic in it too. We was one. We had one <laughs> mic. And uh, yeah, yeah. I've, I've upgraded to two mics now. We two mics. Got a new laptop. See, look at you. So it actually, I mean, it doesn't sound too much different than what it sounds like right here. I mean, it's, it's the quality is good. Always. However, 
it's always good to be in the lab. Absolutely. Yeah, man. So it's good to be here. What good was, to be back. What what was your what sticks out the most from those two episodes recording those two years ago? Oh, man, it seems to me it seems longer than that. To me it seems like just yesterday, but yeah. yeah. But you know, just I mean, the production side, obviously, yeah, yeah. stepping up. But Word. you know, nothing wrong with starting in your kitchen. For sure, you got to start somewhere. Yeah, I guess. And, I, and I'm gonna be back there, you know, couple every few episodes. See, yeah. And then um, I think the other part is just listening back to those old episodes, just Ugh. the growth. Yeah. In you know the show, you know what you're talking about, the topic that we talked about with um, feminism, feminism, mm-hmm. you know. Even that, like my opinions from two years ago, have changed. Oh, so my whole worldview has changed from two know, years ago. <laughs> I feel it. So yeah, exactly. So yeah. a lot has changed. A lot of growing up. A lot of you know, new thoughts about things. Yeah, so, it's yeah. it's crazy, man. Like that's that's the cool thing about podcasting is like you have a you can just it's like a diary. Yeah. For me, it's a diary because yeah. I'm talking about highly personal things. Right. Um, and so. I can just go back and hear myself. Exactly. Two years ago. Yeah. Like 2017 Emmanuel is way different than 2019 Emmanuel. And that's good, yeah. right? Yeah. I so, think so. I yeah. hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you growing, you learning, you know, that's good. You can't just, I mean, being snag, stagnant is, you know, where that's you death. get complacent. Yeah. You get, you know, stuck in a box and then what? Yeah. So no growth. We stuck. Yeah, that's so. that's not cool. We can't we can't do that. We always got to move forward. Man. Exactly. So really quickly, tell the listeners that don't know you a little bit about, a little bit about who you are, where you're from, and what's a typical day in the life of Valdosta State University, <laughs> i.e. Valerie Jackson. Well, my name is Valerie from born and raised. There aren't too many of us left here. Mm, we unicorns out here, right? Yeah. Born and raised in Portland. Um, you know, did my my high school years at Lincoln. Go Cards. You know. Ugh, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> don't hate gross <laughs> um left your community mm, <laughs> i didn't mm, have a mm. choice why not chris jackson he forced you to go to lincoln i had no choice that's I knew, his fault i knew from elementary school i was going to lincoln why because he went there mm-hmm. oh he was getting bust in back in the day and then he was right. like we gonna bust you in yeah so mm. him uh my two aunts his older sisters went my older sister went i went oh gang gang okay so it was just it. you know okay. that's how it was gonna be all right Um, yeah, I did a little moving around, was in LA for a little bit, Arizona for a little bit, um, the Bay Area for a little bit, moved back to Portland, and just been living, um, I have a dog, just got a dog in April, and I feel like a real Portlander with a dog, because I walk around with a leash, you know, the little baggies. Oh, you pick up the poop. You know, because you got to be. How is that? Because back in the 90s, we wasn't picking up no poop. No. And it's it's a weird thing to pick up an warm. animal's. Just warm, huh? And it stinks. And it's gross. So, and then it's weird because some people will like walk it back home with them. And do what with it? Throw it in the garbage. And what garbage? Their garbage. Like oh, their like outside, the outside garbage. garbage. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, some people will. I guess I, you have to. Like, where else are you going to throw it? Right. Yeah. I'm one of those. <laughs> I'll throw it in the nearest garbage I see. So I might walk up in your driveway wow, and throw my Disrespect. Dog. <laughs> if I see that, I'm throwing it right back at your dog. But I just feel like, do you want me to leave it in your yard? Or do you want me to just throw it in the garbage? It's in a, bla- a plastic bag. Throw it in my neighbor's garbage. <laughs> <laughs> if, if your neighbor's garbage is closer, I'm going to throw it in your neighbor's word, garbage. Word, word, So, yeah, I feel like a true Portlander. I wear Birkenstocks. Um, not today. Oh, okay. But yeah, so. 
how'd you get on the Birkenstock train? Somebody peer pressured you or you just like, you know what? This is me. I'm just going to settle in. Um, well, I did some starter Birkenstocks where they were like, starter <laughs> what does that even mean? Tell I me got them at Target. Okay. So they were like $20. Oh, wow. Um, and but was, they weren't like the, they weren't the real Birkenstocks. Okay. They look similar, but mm. they was cheap. So they was the Birkenstocks. Right. Mm. They was just stocks. The Birkens, the stocks. <laughs> the okay. Stocks. So I got those and I was like, OK, I could rock these, you know, so I, you know, invested in some because Birkenstocks are like 100 bucks. Really? Real Birkenstocks. Are, mm. So I got a few pair now. So you know. Oh, OK. Balling. <laughs> yeah. You got the Birkenstock phone on IG. Just you feel me? Like new new stocks. Who this? Right. Yeah. OK. Exactly. So stock game is on. Mm-hmm. OK, I see. That's yeah. So just living, working, work a lot. Busy right. season at my job right now, so yeah. trying to stay healthy and keep my mental health together. For sure. Um, That's a premium. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have your internal battles, external battles. Yeah. You know, media, stuff like that. So definitely got to keep your health in check. For sure. So, For yeah. Sure. Yeah, man. Well, um, before we get into the topic. Let's talk about before it. Before we get into the meat of the conversation. Okay. Talk about a few things. Okay. If you don't mind. I'm ready. Um, first things first. My blazers. Mm. You know, we yeah. making moves. Yes. I feel like the blazers made one of the most underrated free agency moves that no one's talking about. Wow. Coming from you, this this means a lot. All right. I don't even know what you're going to say, but it already means a lot because you're saying is. something positive about the blazers. <laughs> and I never hear any positivity Coming from Valerie Jackson as it pertains to the Portland Trailblazers. And she's born and raised from Portland, y'all. Do not forget that. Don't let that leave your mind. But go ahead. Say what you're about to say. The Hassan Whiteside yes. signing. Yes. He's going to protect the paint. Oh, my God. You know, he's going to he's gonna be, you know, a double-double guy. Yes. Easily. You know, he With might like be. like two, three blocks. Right. Mm. Rebounds. Yep. He's going to be able to, you know, clean it up in the paint. Solid. Hasn't been hurt no you know he's been no. pretty healthy yeah. in his nba I, I career think about that yeah that's a great yeah and portland hasn't had a solid injury free big man mm. in a long time that is factual so yeah. i feel like no one's talking about that <clears throat> but that's that's something that needs to be yeah i mean to me that's it's, it's very is very underrated very under the radar mm-hmm. and even people were saying that miami won that trade and i'm like bro they mm. got myers leonard right who like they got myers uh, granted it, it helped them they had myers leonard and mo harkless right and then they used mo to bring in jimmy but whatever so they got what they needed mo is gone Mo's I know. in L.A. I know. They, okay. So they, they oh, had Mo, okay. and then they packaged him okay. to trade him and so that they could bring in, make room for Jimmy Butler. Okay. But, like, the the thing about Myers Leonard, mm-hmm. I was so happy when he started killing against the Warriors. Right. Because I was like, oh, my God. He's, like, he's going to be like, all right, p- teams might want him. Right. His, dra- or his, his trade stock, his trade value is going up. Right. Just because of, like, three, four games. Right. And it happened. It and now did. we got – White side, who, like you said, is a double double machine. Right. He hasn't been putting up the numbers in Miami for whatever reason. Right. Uh, I think that they put too much pressure on him to be the guy. Right. And he's not that guy. No. He's just one of those dudes that's going to do what he does. Right. When he has people around him, specifically guards. Right. Which that, just goes back to it being an underrated yeah. signing because you have solid guard play that's going to space the floor. Right. 
and it it's not going to come down to him trying to make the plays because mm. he's going to be able to create space for Dame for CJ to make the big shot. Yeah. He and then if they miss it, guess what? He probably gonna get your rebound easily. So easily. Yeah. And then today, what what is today? Today is July. The 24th. Day after my birthday. It Yeah. Happy belated birthday Thank to you. Val. Thank y'all, you. Y'all send her some. Well, by the time you hear this, it'll be August. <laughs> but uh, but on this day, mm-hmm. um, and five hours ago, according to Twitter, Paul Gasol. Pal. Pal. See, I'm y'all don't even know how to pronounce his name. It's Pal. P-A-U. Well, it, I say, does it, does it really matter? Yes. You know what I was talking about. But, because you said Gasol. Paul Gasol. <laughs> He's he's in America, so it's Paul in America, all right? All right. Um, Paul Gasol has signed a one-year deal with the Blazers. That's interesting. Beautiful. So now we got veteran presence off the bench? Right. What? You know, got that. Uh, he he show y'all his championship rings. He he can show us the way. You know? He got strategies. Yeah. Yeah, man. So now that we got Pal, Paul, however you want to say <laughs> it, we got, we got the older Gasol brother. Yes. They both champions. That's a beautiful thing. It's first brothers in really a long, I think ever if I'm not probably so mistaken. But yeah, man. So yeah, we got we got we got Hassan Whiteside, we got Gasol, we got Zach Collins. That's I mean yeah, we looking good. y'all. We looking you good. know resecured, extended Dame for what four years, four more years. Almost two hundred million. Dave yeah. has the bag he cashed secure. out. Yeah. Cashed out. Now let's let's get on your Lakers. <laughs> now the topic. What, what y'all what y'all gotta understand? This has been a point of contention between me and Valerie <laughs> for years. Since my I, announcement. Since her announcement <laughs> that she because look Val this this you know why this hurt. Because I was a Blazer you, fan. You and I. Yes. Like you, you were a Blazer fan. I was, and we connected on that. Yeah, we. You went. and I went to the draft party <laughs> for Greg Oden, and, and I was so okay. Listen, I was so upset. That was kind of the beginning. I think you, were, you were mad about that too, right? I was at the draft. We went to the Moda. We went to the Moda, or it was the Rose Garden at that time. Excuse, yes, I'm throwback. It was yeah, the Rose Garden. Rose Garden for sure. And they draft, and I, everybody knew it was going to be Greg Oden. I feel like that, and my was, mind was like. This is the beginning of the end for me. Yeah. Because, I mean, obviously we didn't know what Kevin Durant was going to be. I I felt like I was confident in what he was about to be. But we knew he was going to be a star. Mm -hmm. And the Blazers drafted Brittle. You know, played good when he was healthy. Isaac Hayes looking. Old face. Yeah. So... That was a little, that was kind of the beginning of the end for me mm. when Odin was drafted. And then you went to the, I mean, the darkest of dark sides. Yeah. <laughs> and you became a Laker fan. Yes, sir. Wow. Yeah. And it was, it was an strategy. easy transition for me. Let me tell you why. My father mm-hmm. is a Lakers fan. Okay. So games that we watched growing up, mm-hmm. Lakers games. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of just what I... It was the next step for me in my maturation of that NBA was the fan. logical conclusion of your childhood. If you're not a Blazer fan, right, then you a Laker fan, right. That hurt me, and it's so much sweeter. <laughs> I see you rocking a yellow. Uh, it's neon. Yellow. It's neon. Oh my bad. Cool. I, I apologize. I feel I apologize. it though. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, it's cool. I see you with your Kenya red and black all day. Hey, Wakanda <laughs> forever. <laughs> you know what I mean. I'm repping Africa as much as possible. But, but you know, uh, also blazer colors, red and black. 
So you know, I wasn't really going for that, but you know, it's yeah. just kind of it's it kind of in me. Yeah, it's kind of in me. Even forever. when you don't try. Yeah, I'm not even trying, but yeah. it, just, it just happens. Right. Yeah, and that's okay. Yeah. So how you feeling about your Lakers? Man? I'm excited. Yeah. It hasn't been this much excitement. LeBron and AD. Who uh-huh. else? Did, who else did y'all pick up? I don't even remember. Demarcus Cousins. Boogie. Mm, so Boogie and and AD together. Back together. Again? Yep. That didn't work out in New Orleans. It didn't, but most of it was injuries. In my opinion, because they played well together at Kentucky. Yeah. So I think a lot of it was injuries. Um, no, they didn't play at Kentucky. They weren't on the same team at the same time. Right? Yes, they were. No, they weren't. Can I show you the picture? Do I have to pull no. out their roster? Hold on. Let me just let me just not. I hate this Google era where you just resolve conflict in two seconds. Let's I, argue. Let's let's argue about this okay. before we go to Google. Okay. Go so, ahead. <laughs> I said my. You have to. You. I know. I'm. I'm you about have to, the burden of proof here. I do have the burden of proof, <laughs> and I will take that on my. There's shoulders. a. There's a Drake. Demarcus Cousins, Anthony Davis picture. That doesn't mean that they played on the same team. DeMarcus, They're wearing the same jersey. But hold on. Hold on. It, hold on. Hold on. Because you know Drake jumped on bandwagon he at sure Kentucky. Did. He sure did. So. But hold on. Okay. Go let's, ahead. So so let's go back in time. Bef- mm-hmm. this, despite that picture. Okay. Um, did DeMarcus Cousins, he only played one year at, at Kentucky, correct? Yes. Okay. From what I remember. Okay. Forget about Google, right? Now. Right, like we're not Googling. We're not going to ask Cha-Cha either. Remember that? Remember oh, my gosh. Remember the text? That was like Google yes. searches before. It w- and then and the other one was Jeeves. You remember Jeeves? Jeeves, ask Jeeves. Oh, my <laughs> God. We're old. We're the old stage millennials. Right. Um, so dial up millennials. Oh my God. So, um, it was John wall mm-hmm. boogie. Who else was on that team? It was John wall boogie. Was it? Ter- no, it wasn't Darius Jones. It was, a. Uh, they had three players that year <sighs> and they, and they all got drafted that year. It was John wall. I know. Boogie. I remember John wall. I remember. Was boogie. it, Ra- was it Julius Randall? No, no. No. Who was on that team? I and I think Eric Bledsoe might have been on that team. No, Eric Bledsoe was way, way older. Yeah. Who was on the John Wall team? I John feel like Wall, Yeah, I feel like Bledsoe was right after the Rondo Kentucky years. You think so? Yeah. I thought Bledsoe played with them. No. No? Mm-mm. All right. All right, go ahead and Google it or, or pull up your little pictures. <laughs> Dang, I hate Google. I could man. be I can't wrong. Even argue no I more, could bro. be wrong. But I but I feel like Anthony Davis is younger. Than, than Boogie. And Anthony Davis, he only played one year, just like Boogie played one. But I don't remember Anthony Davis and John Wall playing together, but I definitely remember Boogie and I John Wall I think you're right. Together. I do. I think, I maybe, I think that's what it was. It could have been that AD had already left Kentucky. And so, I don't know. It's, but AD, okay, let me see. Come on, come on, Google. Go Let's go. Let's go. Uh, What year did Jonathan Wall... Uh, <laughs> 2009-2010 So team. Anthony Davis was the Michael Kidd Gilchrist. Yeah. See, look, I know, man. And Marcus, that was Marquise Teague, not... Oh, Teague? Yeah, not okay. Jeff, Jeff Teague's little brother. Okay, okay. So, and then, so then that would be the following might have been the job. No, it was, it was blessed. See, I told... Girl, man, okay. look, look, I'm on top of this. So it was that team was Demarcus Cousins, Eric Bledsoe, John Wall. They started. Why do I feel like Eric Bledsoe was so much older than them? Nah, he 
but they're they're old. I mean, they're like they've been in the league for ten years. That's true. Yeah, Boogie's been in the league for ten years, so it just they don't seem old. But yeah, yeah, it's kind of wild. That is wild. But yeah, moving forward. Moving forward, let's do it. Let's do it, man. Um, we are still in the racial identity series. Appreciate y'all for listening so far. Mm-hmm. It's been a good run. Absolutely. Um, have you been enjoying it? I have. That's what's up. I definitely think it's a conversation that needs to be had. Definitely. Um, from a lot of different perspectives. Yeah, and there's so much to get to, and I don't know if I'll be able to hit as many perspectives as I would like, but, mm-hmm. like, I appreciate you for volunteering your time and yeah. just, like, responding to the post. And for those that are fresh in into the series, uh, what I did was I went on social media, on Instagram and Facebook, and I was just saying that I was looking for people to share stories that range from tragedy to triumph that pertains to their internal and external struggles when it comes to racial identity and or colorism. And so you read that post and you responded very quickly. Yes. What, why did you respond so quickly? I think it was like so still quickly? seconds. <laughs> <laughs> you responded very quickly. I was like, damn, Valerie is on it. Yeah. So what, what was it when you read that and all the descriptions that I put out there, like why did it strike a core thing? There's a few things that came to, initially came to mind when mm-hmm. I saw your posting. Um, and I think my main, the first thing that popped in my head was this natural hair movement that we're kind of in right now okay which um is beautiful yeah and it's not just women it's men too i mean my dad rocking the curls now okay popping yeah yeah. so and yeah Yeah. you know so i feel like since this movement has happened the last i would say let's give it you know five or six years when it's kind of just kind of gained more more momentum um and then you see stories in the media about you know kids being kicked out of school um, because their hair is braided or it's mm, in dreads, yeah, or you yeah. hear about, you know, kids in Africa, in Africa, mm-hmm. Africans yeah. with, you know, hair, African hair. Yeah, yeah, natural hair. Are being told that they can't come to school because their hair is a distraction. White supremacy. Is yeah. yeah, I mean, women, braid, you know, wearing, you know, box braids, can't wear them to work, being told that their hairstyle is inappropriate. Yeah. There was and, just, and I don't mean to cut you off, but like for the, for context, um, for those listening that don't know who you are, yes, um, can you tell us what your ethnic background is and how do you identify? Um, I identify myself as black. Um, Camille, who was on last episode, mm-hmm. really just hit home what black meant for me. Mm. Just the collective um, coming from the African uh, background. Uh, my grandmother actually did her... Um, DNA testing my this is my father's mother Mm -hmm. did her DNA testing a few years ago and kind of got some shocking news with that Mm -hmm. um finding out that my grandma actually is biracial um her her father being French Mm. and um her mother being roots coming from Ghana um in the Ivory Coast okay so definitely identify myself as black um, but yeah, that's kind of my racial background. Also being, you know, lighter skin, mm-hmm. um, coming from a family that's majority lighter skin, mm-hmm. um, but also having some, you know, brown, darker brown skin in my family as well. So I kind of have just a blended, you know, we kind of look like just about, you know, the color rainbow for black folks. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of just my background with 
race, my racial identity. For sure. Yeah. I'm sorry, son. You were talking about the natural hair. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So natural hair has become kind of this, you know, big movement where, you know, women and men are, you know, no longer accepting the European standard for hair. Mm. Where, you know, you're putting on, you know, your perms and your relaxer. Well, not your perm, but your relaxer mm-hmm. to straighten your hair or flat iron your hair every day. Yeah. Um, it's kind of just taking the heat and the chemicals off your hair and just wearing it in its natural state. And, yeah, so I've kind of had this epiphany, mm-hmm. I would say, probably in the last two years that the racial identity in the natural hair community is kind of in this weird space where everyone has kind of taken this this phrase, this natural hair movement phrase and tried to make it theirs. What you mean? Well, you have, you know, your lighter skin mixed, you know, um, women, men who hair whose hair is naturally curly. Mm-hmm. And they wear it curly and they feel like, oh, I'm 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 natural, Mm. which, okay, you know, being a white woman or a white man or, you know, a mixed or even a a Latino or Latina man with curly hair, in my opinion, does not make you a part of the natural hair movement because you've never been discriminated for wearing your hair in its natural state. Right, right. It's more of a... It's more on the other end of the spectrum where yeah. your hair is more kinky right. or nappy or whatever you want to yeah, call more, it. more co- coarse. A more coarse, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So that's where I feel like the natural hair movement has been co-opted mm-hmm. by other races. Mm-hmm. And even, I would even say lighter skinned black women and men. Um, so how, where do you fall in that spectrum? I definitely feel like I was you know, a champion. Oh, I'm a natural hair movement. This is my natural hair, how it grows out of my head until I realized that my hair type does not get discriminated against. Mm. Because when you see commercials or products in the store, it's usually, if it's, you know, for a black person, it's usually a light skinned woman with, you know, cute, loose curls who, no one has a problem with because you'll see your own commercials you'll see your you know in movies or wherever in ads and that's no one has a problem with that mm-hmm. the problem comes with the like the coarser hair right you know where a woman with 4c hair which is probably more co- like the coarsest on the hair type. Yeah, i'm sorry what was that 4c what does that mean it's like the texture and the curl pattern of your hair oh i didn't know that, that was yeah so it's one being, you know, straight hair. So who who has a 4C? Like, is that... Um... So if we're looking at, like, the media actors, so, you know, famous people, mm-hmm. it's usually your, you know, your darker skin women. Okay. Viola Davis is a good example. Lupita is a good example mm, of that darker okay. skin with, you know, the, the coarser, kinkier hair. Mm-hmm. And that's where... I feel like the natural hair movement needs to be because for myself, for my sister who is brown, but um, her hair curl type is not as kinky. Yeah. I don't feel like we should be part of that movement. Now, am I saying that we have to go back out and straighten our hair? No, but I'm saying that it needs to be more of a supporting role as a part, as, 
as opposed to the main attraction. Yeah. In the natural hair community. That's it's it's interesting how these things hit. You yeah. know, like everyone that has responded to just a general description and just to give y'all um an idea of what I wrote or idea of what I wrote, um I put out a few different scenarios. And I, I put out, do you identify as biracial, can pass for multiple ethnicities, and hate how society forces you to choose just one? Um, do you still struggle with that? How have you overcome? Are you black, biracial, multiracial, and internally identify as something else, but are not, or I, I, I t- excuse me, internally identify as fill in the blank, but are not accepted as what you identify as? Have you overcome that struggle? Uh, or, you know, do you identify as black and were adopted and raised by white parents? Obviously, it doesn't apply to you. Mm-hmm. But, like, I put out those categories and everybody responded to something that wasn't necessarily the things that I put out there. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just amazing how it's kind of like society has framed race and these issues in such a way so that you don't even have to, like, directly address one thing, but, like, you just talk about race mm-hmm. and identification, and then everybody internalizes it, and everybody is dealing with it in some form or fashion that is totally different from a lot of other people. Mm-hmm. And so it's just it's just interesting to me that, you know, how this is playing out. Yeah. Um. So with, with hair, mm-hmm. how deep is that for you as far as, like, some type of... Um, has it been like a struggle or like a way of a, a, a point of identity for you or has it been a point of contention or like what what's your relationship to your hair and, and how you identify based upon it? Um, for me, and I know a lot of, you know, black women specifically, your hair is, you know, a love hate relationship mm-hmm. from, you know, early on when your mom was doing your hair in the kitchen for Easter Sunday. Mm-hmm. Like, you have sisters. Oh, so, yeah. you know, like, it's this whole... I feel like my life was revolved around me, like, watching them get their hair done. Mm-hmm. Um, or going to a hair salon. Right. Back, like, my, my mom and both my sisters. Right. Like, and it, being in there for a long time. Yep. I it's... hated I hated the smell. <laughs> right. <laughs> Hear, and it's... Hearing my sister scream because they ear got burnt because right. the hot... All that type yep. of stuff. Yeah. Exactly. So it's it's the lifelong kind of journey with, you know, women in their hair. And so I've always heard, every time I've gotten my hair done, you always hear the term, or you go out in the streets, you hear the term good hair. Yeah. Which drives me absolutely insane. For sure. And I feel like within my family, there's that dynamic of, oh, you have good hair as opposed to you know, someone else in my family that, you know, may be considered bad hair or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so that just has always been um, an issue that I've, it, I haven't firsthand been ever told that, you know, my hair isn't good enough. Mm-hmm. But to hear that my hair is good, it's almost like that backhanded compliment because it's someone else that you're comparing my hair to that you might not like the texture of their hair. Mm-hmm. And... So, and I feel like when you benefit from that, you need to be the one to break that down. Mm. So you need to be one that, you know, knocks that barrier over for someone else to dismantle that. 
Mm. because it's very similar to white supremacy. Mm. Black people are not going to end white supremacy. Right. White people are going to end white supremacy. Right. And it's the same within, you know, the black community with cuddlerism. It's not going to be dark skinned people who are discriminated against or have these prejudice, um, these prejudices against them. It's going to be lighter skinned people who are like enough is enough. Mm. Being black comes in different colors. So saying that, you know, you like someone skin over another, that's an internal struggle that you need to deal with. Mm -hmm. It's not the person who you're projecting that against. That's your struggle. Right. And until people start speaking up about colorism and about this good hair nonsense that goes on, it's Mm going to keep going on. And you're going to get little brown and black girls who sit in the mirror who think they're not good enough because somebody doesn't like their, their hair is nappy. Word. And so that's why I like seeing now when you have, you know, celebrities like Lupita, like Viola Davis, who are rocking their natural hair in couture gowns on the red carpet. That's beautiful to me. Word. So that's where my kind of racial conversation comes up is that colorism within the community of having you know good hair versus whatever else you want to call it so yeah honestly like i i rarely and maybe i don't talk to enough um black women well for one i'm married right so i can't be out here talking to all the (laughs) all the women and having all these you know what i mean deep conversations right but um i don't hear that from some from light-skinned women a lot to be honest i know when the colorism conversation comes up they're quiet they're quiet Mm -hmm. and or it's just only darker skin more brown to to black skin or yeah but darker skin black women Mm -hmm. not lighter skin black right or when the lighter skin women speak up it's how they feel like they've been wronged in colorism mm. where this girl didn't like me because I was light skinned. Yeah. And I was like, and I hear that so much Yeah, in that colorism conversation. Right. And I'm like, girl, stop. You probably had a bad attitude. Mm. That's probably why they didn't like you. Mm. Or it's the other part where they've been hurt by other light skinned women that look like you. Yeah. And so... It's a defense mechanism for yeah. a lot of people. I'm going to hurt you before you hurt me. Right. So I think that's the problem with that conversation is that even it's it's the same thing that we want with white supremacy. Mm. And it's obviously not. I don't really know how to say it, but it's like we're not speaking up. And I say we as in light skinned people. Yeah. We're not speaking up enough. Mm -hmm. We're not doing our part to make sure that when we see it, we squash it. And that's with anybody, Mm -hmm. whether it's, you know, another light skinned male or female. If it's, you know, a white person, if it's some if it's another dark skinned person, it, it just needs to be. It's when you hear those insensitive jokes, when people think they're funny, it's not funny. It's yeah. hurtful. Yeah. And that's coming from someone who has a darker skin sister. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's brown. She's chocolatey, like a co- milk chocolate color. Mm-hmm. And 
I've seen it firsthand with her. And me and my sister, I'll fight you for my sister. I will. For sure. And so that's where my defense comes from is because I've seen it firsthand. I've seen how hurtful it can be, Mm -hmm. um, you know, just within my family. So we need to take that and apply it to everyone because it's not about their relationship to you. It's just about them being a person. Yeah. And so that's where that conversation, when it is had, it needs to be more of, it needs to be a, a space of listening. And it also needs to be a space um, for just reflection on what you as a person have, uh, as a black person have contributed to that conversation. Yeah. Um, whether it's, you know, your preference in dating. Yeah. If you want to date someone that's light skin or what dark skin or whatever, that's fine. That's your preference, mm-hmm. but you don't have to do it at the degradation of some degradation of someone else. Right. Right. So it's the same thing when, you know, you see a black man or a black woman dating a white woman mm-hmm. or a white man. Mm-hmm. If that's your preference, that's fine, but it doesn't have to come at someone else's expense. Right. So, yeah. And that happens. That also happens a lot too. For sure. Yeah. Dude, life is funny, man. It is like, because I'm trying to figure out, in this, in your case, like, man, how does she get so, like, on the right side of the the argument, <laughs> even though she, even though you potentially benefit from will, it, will benefit from the colorism, right? You know, issue, but then it's your family, and it's like, it's just crazy how in life, in this world, us as humans, like. We can genuinely go hard for a cause when we've went through it. Right. But then if you haven't went through it, right. it's hard to even see Absolutely. what somebody's talking about. So when when you haven't gone through something, it's kind of like you you can't fully fault that person for not understanding because they don't even know what you're talking about. Right. They haven't felt it. Right. But then when you have felt it, it's just like, yo. I know what this is or mm-hmm. I've witnessed this in my household mm-hmm. and even though I didn't directly go through it like physically or whatever, like I seen it. Right. And so I care about that person enough mm-hmm. to be able to stand up for their rights or whatever they went through. And I'm going to, you know, go on a, uh, not say a crusade, but like whatever, whenever the it's opportunity arises. It's becoming an ally. Exactly. Yeah. So exactly. I, it's, it's the same thing. It, and it doesn't necessarily have to be that my sister went through it. Because my sister could have been, I mean, my sister, it could have not been my sister. It could have been any, you know, replace any, you know, dark skin woman, dark, you know, dark skin friend, family member, whomever. It could be a stranger. Mm. It doesn't matter because their relationship to me doesn't matter. But and I think that's the other part is like when you say, oh, my sister went through that. So now I can have a. I have empathy for that person, mm-hmm. but it shouldn't be. It shouldn't. It shouldn't be their relationship to you, but that's what happens. But typically that's what happens right. for people to understand someone's plight. Exactly. You know? Exactly. So. And I see it. I mean, you get those, you know, those comments. Oh, you pretty for a dark skinned girl or. Mm. People still that ignorant? Oh, still that ignorant. Oh, okay. And then, or you get the, even on, you know, being of a lighter skin what you mixed with as if my blackness isn't black enough mm. or I'm too black. So there must be something that makes me more 
appealing, you know, maybe I'm mixed with something mm. that makes it, you know, makes you look exotic or whatever. Yeah. So there's that too. There, But yeah, it has, it, there's, if there is a disclaimer mm-hmm. at the end of a compliment, it's not a compliment. Right. right. And, you know, we see different things on the internet, the memes and all that stuff of, you know, dark skinned women who, you know, are people they'll be fighting or whatever and you're like see that's what it is that's why i don't like dark-skinned mm. women or i don't like and i'm like get over yourself because light-skinned girls latina girls white girls they fight just as much right but they don't have the angry black girl stigma stigma exactly mm-hmm. so when you see it i mean as corny as that sounds but when you see it and you hear it whether you know that person or not it needs to be killed then yeah because that person probably has that internal battle within them within themselves every single day that you don't and like getting up in the getting up to go to work to go Mm -hmm. to school looking at yourself in the mirror and telling yourself you know maybe i'm not pretty or maybe you know what i mean like that you know that just negative space that you put yourself in that mental health that just wears on you yeah you know that's i mean that should be the least of someone's issues, whether or not people think you're attractive because your skin is dark. Yeah. So. But it's something that. It happens. Yeah, and you it's. You can go your your whole life and never really mm-hmm. have that self-love. Mm-hmm. Well, tell tell me about, you know, growing up, being light-skinned, and how that, how that's been as far as, like, did you feel like you had to explain yourself? Did you get a lot of those questions? What are you mixed with? Or was it just something where it just wasn't even a, a big deal? I got a lot of questions mm-hmm. what I was mixed with. Um, even to this day, I'm 32. Mm-hmm. And people were like, oh, which one of your parents is white? Wow. Um, neither. Mm. I'm black. Mm-hmm. And then trying to prove your blackness. Mm. So, so how do they... <laughs> what do you? So what do you do? Like... Me being darker, I don't, I've never had to prove anything. Right. And so what is that like for you? Like, do you actually do it or is it a subconscious thing where you're already saying or doing things? Like, how is how are you handling that? I think um, in my teens, it was a, a sub like it was it was blatant mm-hmm. trying to fit in, trying to make myself black enough. Mm. Um, and it was also a lot of subconscious things that, you know, you would do. Um, to prove your blackness. Um, the one thing that I think I did a lot was I would wear cocoa butter. (laughs) (laughs) Just so you could smell black? So I could smell black, right? Um, yeah, so. (laughs) That's funny. But, and I did that a lot in, you know, in high school, um, which was weird because I went to a predominantly white school. Yeah. And then the other part. (laughs) Y'all had like 12 black people in your school. There was 11 in my graduating class. Oh, my bad, my bad. (laughs) I was just throwing a random number out there. I knew I was close, though. 11 in 2005 when I graduated from high school. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, but in. Terrell and (laughs) a few others. Yeah, I and I. When I went in, I knew about nine of them. So, mm. <laughs> but mm-hmm. yeah. So I think that's the other part that's kind of weird about this thing is that, and you know, being in that high school age where, you know, you're trying to figure out who you are. Yeah. And then you get, you know, Becky, who's, you're not black. Like, you're not really black, black. Like, you're mm. just kind of black, right? Like, your mom's white or 
you don't act like those other black people. Mm. And I'm like, you heard, that all, you heard that all four years, didn't you? <laughs> all four years. Yeah. I think actually my second day of school, um, my freshman year in high school, we were in PE playing mm. lacrosse. Mm-mm. Holler. Wow. Yep. Only at Lincoln, <laughs> maybe at Grant. Or probably at Wilson too. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we were playing, we were playing lacrosse and this <laughs> white girl, I, I'm not going to say her name cause I still remember it to this day, but she asked me why I didn't go to Jeff with all the other black kids. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what does one say to that? One does. Well, she didn't say, she didn't say the word black. She said the N word. Oh, wow. Yeah. You over here censoring it. Yeah. For Becky. For Becky. Yeah. yeah. So basically, she said, why don't you go to Jeff with all the other niggers, is what she said to me. Wow. Yeah. Second day of school. Wow. I was 16. Welcome to Lincoln. And that's what it was. And I was like, oh. So I had, like, in this, like, 30 seconds of, you know, thought into what she said, processing it, and trying to figure out what my response was, I hit her in the back with a lacrosse stick. Oh, well, (laughs) I like that response. So that was kind of what happened, but... Yeah, and it's just like that to me was kind of my first experience with being called the N word by a, a white person because yeah. I'm light skinned. Yeah. Oh wow. So they don't yeah. call you nigga like Mm-mm. that. No. Wow. At least in my experience. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, my You guys don't get called N word as much. Mm-mm. Wow. Mm-mm. I didn't think about that part of what I I can think of I can count on one hand. How many times have been called the N word by a white person in my life? Hmm. I, honestly, I can't. I, I haven't been called because. And most of them are road rage incidences. So. Oh um, really? Yeah. <laughs> I remember in college one time, um, somebody hanging out the window of their car and mm-hmm. saying "nigger." Mm-hmm. But that was like you know I went to HBCU, but right. U of H is basically right across the street. Right. And so we were walking by U of H, and they just. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but man, in Portland, does somebody directly? I feel like they don't do that to dudes. I don't know. I just, I, I don't remember getting called it, but I know a lot of people who, who would have. Be, but I, I wasn't in like white, a lot of white spaces. Right. I mean, I was because, you know, you go to, right. you go to school. You live in Portland. You live in Portland. But, you know, Irvington was fairly black. Right. Holy Redeemer was pretty black yeah um for private school and in benson i just you know yeah. i didn't realize how many white people was there until graduation <laughs> i was like oh wow this is a pretty white school yeah for but, me uh, at, going to lincoln was a culture shock for yeah, me i went yeah. to sabin which was hella black hella black yeah. hella latino yeah. um i went to beaumont which was really mixed because you get the sabin you get the sabin alameda right group, like Fernwood. That, that edge of northeast yeah yeah Right, it's 42nd, you know, yeah. right on the cusp mm-hmm. of still being in Northeast Portland. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Or what we call Northeast. Right. What Now Northeast. Oh, you live in uh, 122nd? Yeah. I'm like, that's nah, not. that ain't. That's, no. that's the numbers. It's right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I'm glad people still say the numbers because I said it's his buddy. They're like, what are you talking about? I was like, oh, never mind. You're not from here. Right. But yeah, so I, Lincoln was a big culture shock to me because, I mean, I knew... A few of the people that were freshmen, you know, that were black freshmen with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other black people that I knew was my sister, <laughs> yeah, who was a senior when I was a freshman. Yeah. So that was it. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay. 
So then you have to figure out how to navigate in those spaces. And I felt like for me, as opposed to, you know, Terrell, who is darker, we had different paths of navigation. Right. He played sports. He played basketball. When you play sports, you're kind of shielded from this. Yeah. Like I played sports all. That's what I'm saying. Like I wasn't, I was just running track, playing basketball, playing football. Right. And so like, I don't have to, I didn't have like a lot of free time to just fraternize. Right. With people that I really didn't. Right. Want to be around. And when, and when you're the black, you know, you're part of the, you're a black athlete. You know, and you're, you know, you're winning games because you're treated like royalty. You're treated like royalty. No mm-hmm. one says, no one calls you the N word to your face. Um, they might say it behind your back, but they're mm-hmm. not going to say it to your face. Right. And it's going to, you know, it's going to be some kid who was on the basketball team the year before who spot that you took this year. Right. Um, or it's going to be his dad. Yeah. Or it was, I remember <laughs> like, we, yeah, like when we would play against teams, mm-hmm. we would hear it a lot on yes. the field and on the court. But exactly. it wouldn't be no directly like I'm just like a, right. if a white boy called me nigga in P.E. Right. He's getting jumped. Right. And so I just I think, that, you know, no, they were just smart enough back in the day to, to know not to do that, especially at the schools that we were at. Right. We were we weren't outnumbered that much. Yeah. So we were. Yeah. Yeah. For we so, were. So they can get away with it. Right. Yeah. Um, we did have a few like black staff, um, shout out to Valeda Cricket. Um, <laughs> she got me through like three mm. and a half years at Lincoln. Word. So, um, yeah, so we did have, you know, black staff. We had a black student union, which was basically like black people eating lunch together. <laughs> and we put on the Martin Luther King assembly. They made y'all do it. Y'all yes. do all the work. All right, this this is your uh, this is your yeah. thing, guys. So yeah, exactly. Have at it. So that was kind of yeah, that was what it was. <laughs> we had the black bench at Lincoln, oh. which was you know a spot right by the you know the gym that kind of has gone down from tradition. My dad sat on the black bench when he was oh at Lincoln in the seventies. Segregation a lot. Yeah, and it was one of those things where you sat down, and then you know if you're white and you're people are like, why are you sitting there? That's not your space. Mm. So oh, gave y'all a bench. They gave us a bench. Mm. That's what we had. You better be happy about it too. Yeah, <laughs> but then it was weird though because my senior year in high school, um, 2005, our starting lineup and majority of our basketball team was black. Mm-hmm. I remember so that. that was Travis and um, yeah, Omar, Omar, yeah, Travis, Elijah, Terrell, mm-hmm. Austin. Mm. Um, so, you know, you're, you know, you're the gods of the school. Right. And we won the PIL that year. Of course. So, and I'm talking PIL. For sure. Yeah. PIL, PIL. Yeah. Yeah. Who was y'all's coach? Was it Um, Troy? Troy was our coach for like two years, I think. And then he went to Benson. Right. And then I cannot think of the guy's name for the life of me. He was a white guy, though. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. He's actually, I think, the athletic director. Yeah, but Troy's the one that recruited all them, though. Yeah. yeah. We're not going to talk about that, though. Well, he's, he, whatever. Yeah. Carry on. Yeah. So, <laughs> and that was a weird space to be in because um, most of us played sports. I played softball. Mm-hmm. Um, so my other friends, Mitria, she played basketball and softball. So... Um, yeah, it was just kind of a weird space to be in proximity to these people, these basketball players, these black guys who mm-hmm. you're just like, bro, I've known you like forever. Like I've known Terrell since like elementary school. Mm-hmm. So it was just weird that seeing how that had changed from when we were freshmen to being seniors. Weird to see how they're treated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they went from. 
who is these niggas up in here mm-hmm. to being like, yes, these are like, we're going to, we're buying new jerseys. We're going to repaint the gym. Mm-hmm. And then LaTravis and others played football. And mm-hmm. we went to the state championship that mm-hmm. year. And they, you know, we got a new field. We got a new track. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they got new jerseys, Nike jerseys. Right. And Grant didn't even have a field. Like, it was just weird. Like, yeah. So they just threw money at him. So, um, but yeah, just feeling like, and then so being in proximity to that as, you know, being their friend and knowing them, it was just, it was strange to see. It was strange mm. because. The, the, you're talking about like the energy. Yeah. Them? Yeah. Yeah. Because these were, I mean, you you can get away with a lot more when you're, you know. How did it make you feel though? Seeing like, all right. These are the dudes that came here with me. Like mm-hmm. I, y'all ain't special to me, but now right. y'all special to these white people. Right. But that, but they still treat me. So basically, it was like they had a level of privilege, privilege that you didn't have. Absolutely. Was that weird? As in, normally I have a level of privilege because right. I'm light skinned. Right. But now I'm on the other side of yeah. So then that it becomes privilege. yeah. So then it becomes trying to figure out how to navigate in between those spaces. Mm. So becoming you know hanging out with you know my black friends. Mm-hmm. And, you know, going to class and having to do a project with these white people. So. <laughs> so you were getting treated like you were dark skinned. Yes. And they were getting treated like they were light skinned. Yeah. So I think that's kind of where my perspective comes from yeah. a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah, I think that's kind of where for me I was like, okay, this is ridiculous. This colorism thing is pretty ridiculous. It's stupid because they're the same people, right? That were getting mistreated, right? But now we just view you more favorably, right? For whatever reason, for what what for you this, give us, for what you give us, which is what's happening with you know college sports. You bring, you put money, you bring money in, right? Yep, that's that's it. I mean, a lot of the schools, you know, uh, like a, a Alabama or a Auburn mm-hmm. or whatever, they were segregated, right? And then they started letting Negroes in mm-hmm. and now they're, you know, they have the top programs and they're right. bringing in all this money. And, right. Yeah. But, like, but, they, but there was a point in time where they didn't even care. It's like, no, nah, we're not letting y'all in. Right. You know, but now we love you guys. Right. As long as you win. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. exactly. So, yeah, it's kind of just that's kind of where my perspective shifted a little bit. Mm. Um, I remember specifically one summer, me and my sister were going to the Lloyd Center when mm. it was appropriate to go to Lloyd Center not now yeah and we we had to take the eight to the Lloyd Center yep right down 15th right down 15th and um you know past Emmanuel's house on the way to the Lloyd Center let's let's go (laughs) and I remember so we lived in between Ainsworth and Killingsworth growing up Mm -hmm. and I remember we get on the bus at our stop right after Ainsworth and the next stop was Killingsworth Mm -hmm. and I remember my sister her, my, me and my sister were on the bus. It was pretty hot. It was the summer. She's wearing shorts, you know, some sandals and a shirt. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, wearing pretty much the same thing. And a man gets on the bus and says to my sister, now, you know, you don't need to be out in the sun getting any darker. He said that to my sister. And we wow. were probably, I was probably, hmm, I wouldn't even say we were in high school at that point because yeah. my sister drove. So we were on the bus. So I would say probably she was going to be a freshman. Okay. So around that age. Yeah. Um, so she's three years older than me. So I'm probably like 12, 13. Mm-hmm. And he, he said that to my sister. And he was a dark skinned man. Wow. Said that to my sister. 
from he got on the bus with us on Jarrett, where we grew up, mm-hmm. and by Killingsworth, which is the next stop, my sister got off the bus and went home. She was crying because, wow, yeah, at sixteen, someone who looks like you is telling you that you're too dark and you're gonna get darker if you stay out in the sun with shorts on. Self-hate. Yes, that self-hate. And so that was kind of, for me, I was like, had I I known what I know now Mm -hmm. at 15, at 13, I would have said something. But, you know, and it's one of those things, oh, respect your elders kind of thing. So I didn't say anything. I did tell, I believe I told my mom or my dad, I don't remember, I told one of my parents and they went and talked to her about it. But Yeah. yeah, it was just one of those things that, Kind of when stuff like that happens, you don't really know how to respond in those situations, especially when you're younger. Yeah. Um, so, you know, fast forward a few years, I'm in my 20s and um, there is I'm at the nail stop shop mm-hmm. getting my nails done. Mm-hmm. And there's a white woman with um, I believed her it was her two black stepchildren. Mm. And. Obviously, their father being black mm-hmm. and their their biological mom, I'm assuming, was black. Also, they were a little darker and they both had their hair braided mm-hmm. in like little cornrows with, you know, just little girl hairstyles, yeah. cornrows with barrettes, beads. Right. And one of the ladies who was getting her nails done also went over to the older of the two girls who <clears throat> probably was no more than seven and started touching her hair. Oh, just walked up straight over to her and touched her hair. <sighs> And the two little girls, the younger one probably being about five, um, is looking at her sister and the seven-year-old is looking at, you know, they're looking at each other. And you can tell they're completely uncomfortable. And I was completely uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And, you know, their stepmom didn't say anything. Mm. She's looking at her just watching. So me, as a black woman who is the village to these black girls, regardless of if I know them or not, I told him, I told the lady who was touching her hair, I was like, stop touching her. She's a human being. She's not a pet at a petting zoo. Mm. What'd she say? She didn't say anything. She looked at the step, the white woman that they were with. Mm. And the white woman that they were with was like, oh, it's okay. And I was like, no, it's not. Look at her face. She's uncomfortable. She is a person. And if you want to touch her, you need to ask permission. Mm -hmm. And clearly... You haven't given her that space to do that, so I'm going to do that. Mm. So when it becomes those situations where you then have a voice, you need to use it. Yeah. Because at seven, what is she going to do? She can't tell anybody not to touch her hair. Bruh. Yeah. I mean, th- those situations for me, I I feel a certain type of way, and I don't know why I get so stirred up by that, mm-hmm. but I do. I do too. And I'm I'm trying to learn. I'm learning like how do I deal with it? Mm-hmm. Um, when when I see you know black kids that are adopted by white people, mm-hmm. it rubs me the wrong way. Me too. Like to be honest, mm-hmm. like it's just, to me it do, it doesn't make sense. Now mm-hmm. it doesn't have to make sense to me because that's not my choice. Right. Um, is the the act of adopting children is that a good thing? Of course, it's right. it's a great thing. Right. Um, but just knowing, and even not even doing any research, but just by observing, you know, history mm-hmm. and how white supremacy works mm-hmm. and white people's relationship to black people, um, seeing them adopt our kids, right? It's just 
weird. Absolutely. And it's scary. Absolutely. Because of stuff like that. Right. They will low-key, high-key treat us like pets. Absolutely. Like like an experiment. Mm-hmm. Like some novelty of a, of a person. Mm-hmm. Of a human being that's like it, not necessarily... Like, they're like a show at the zoo. Yeah. Or a show at the circus. Yeah, and it's just like... And they... It's, it's, it's disturbing. And then, mm-hmm. now, I'm really on edge. You heard about the... I think a year or two ago, uh, Sarah and Jen Hart, did that story where it was like the lesbian couple from here, from Oregon. Yep. The one that the and little boy hugged. And the little that, boy hugged. That and went, it viral. went viral. They're like, he oh my gosh. And then she drove him off of a cliff. Yeah. Like they adopted like six kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe they were all siblings. They were all, I think, yeah, I think they I think were most all of siblings. them, or at least most of them were all siblings. Yeah. Yeah. yeah at least four out of the six. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but like, before they got to the point of taking them kids and driving them off a cliff, mm-hmm. like they all, they adopted all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, when they were in like Minnesota, there were child abuse cases that were like, these guys slap on the wrist, but like they mm-hmm. were just beating the kids. Mm-hmm. And then here in starving Oregon, them. they were starving them mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and they were going to neighbors' houses and asking for food mm-hmm. and, you know, like sneaking out to get food. Right. And it's just like, what is, right. what is this? Right. You know, and I know that's just one isolated, that's one case, but that's not unique. No. It it happens a lot, unfortunately. It does. And I hear other stories and, you know, listen to other podcasts of people that, you know, went through transracial adoption. Mm-hmm. That's, that, that's what they call it now. It's weird. Okay. But yeah. So, you know, all that means is right. the parent is a different race. But, right. um, and they're, and they're telling stories of, of abuse, mm-hmm. whether it's just physical abuse or like, you know, sexual abuse from the white dad who just has mm-hmm. really had something for black girls. And right. Just His adopted fetish. A, yeah. So I'm just like, bruh, like mm-hmm. this. I don't know why I went on this tangent, but it's just <laughs> oh, because you told me that story. So yeah. it's just like that stuff. Yeah. Just even them touching a little girl's hair. Right. Nah. Because. Nah. And I think a lot of that, for that is because black kids, whether they have black parents or, you know, they're adopted by white parents Black kids, and I can speak for myself, we're not given autonomy over our bodies. <laughs> we're not taught that if you don't want somebody to touch you or hug you, you can say no. Mm. Uh, we're not given that option. It's go over there and give your uncle a hug. Go over there and give your grandma a hug. Mm. Come give me a kiss. And so we don't get that sense of that our bodies belong to us. Mm. So when it comes to situations like those little girls were in, they didn't know how to respond. Yeah. But if you go and you put that in a reverse situation where the little girls are white and some black man comes over or some black woman comes over and touches their hair. Don't touch me. Stop. Mm -hmm. Mom, he's touching me. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. it becomes this whole thing. Yeah. But that's because and just how black in the black community, we don't tell kids to say no when it comes to, you know, that's your uncle or that's your grandma or that's your auntie. You know what I mean? Like, it's not. Mm, yeah. That's a Man, that's that's a hell of a topic right there. Like, <laughs> yeah. we, could, we could go on that. That could be another, you yeah. know, a whole nother show. But, yeah, yeah it's. Sure. And so, yeah. So, we when we when that happens, when stuff like that happens with the little girls at the nail shop, it's it hurts to see. It makes me uncomfortable um, like my first response is I need to defend these little girls. For sure. So because 
whether it's something that, you know, they were told by, you know, their dad or their, you know, their biological mom mm-hmm. or even by this woman who's, you know, they're in their her care at this point. They didn't feel comfortable speaking up for themselves. Yeah. And if they're not going to do it, somebody needs to do it for them. Somebody sure. needs to advocate for those kids. Mm-hmm. So that's why I said something. Yeah. But yeah, and I I don't I feel the same way about um black kids being adopted by you know white parents i have a really good you know friend who her and her husband have adopted two kids Mm -hmm. who are both ethiopian and my when i first met them i had that same oh here we go yeah you know the white savior complex Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. yeah and the more i got to know them the more i appreciated their conversation that I had with them because they never pretended like they knew it all about Mm -hmm. raising black kids. Mm -hmm. Um, They asked questions. That's good. They, you know, when it comes to, they have a a daughter and a son Mm -hmm. when it comes to, you know, their daughter, she plays sports and if she's not wearing, you know, box braids or, you know, some braid extensions, they braid her natural hair. Uh-huh. And she takes them somewhere where the people look like her to get her hair braided. Yeah. And the same thing with their son. You know, taking your son to the barber shop is like a rite of passage in the black community. Uh-huh. You know, it's parents are excited. You know, dads are excited to take their sons to go get their hair cut. For sure. And so, but it's not the same when your dad is white right. and you're black. Yeah. So he, they sought out people. They sought out, you know, a black man that their kids had a relationship with. He was actually, I think he tutored them mm-hmm. and he took them to go get their haircut to get his haircut. Mm-hmm. And so he wasn't able to experience that with his dad because his dad wouldn't have the same understanding, mm-hmm. but to have him experience that with a black man mm-hmm. who he had a relationship with, um, definitely changed I think a lot of my opinion about this couple specifically adopting black kids yeah, because they've done the research, they've done the work to make sure that they know I can't give my kids these answers about being black for sure. So I'm going to seek out people who can so that they have community that looks like them. Yeah. So two things about that. So it's, I think it's good that they allowed Granted, the white dad is eventually going to have to take his son to the barbershop. But it's good that they, like, <laughs> baptize him into the barbershop, uh, you know, with a with a black man because, you know, you don't want your first barbershop experience to be bad. Yeah, if, and if, you know, if, and you're not going to take no black kid, no black boy yeah. to have his first barbershop experience at Supercuts. No, no, no. Yeah, we, we it's can't not do be, that. No. Nah. And then if the white dad goes to the black barbershop... And he's like, hey, you guys taking walk-ins? Like, oh, yeah, we got you 30 minutes. Right. And then Two hours he's, later. And he's looking at his watch. Like, 35. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, I was told uh, 35 minutes. Uh, is, I, I'm I'm trying to figure. I have somewhere to be. And I just need to make sure that I can get my. And he start doing that. Right. Then it's going to go bad. He, come, he become. He's trying to dictate the shop now. Exactly. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. I'm I'm going to report this to the Better Business. No, nah, bro. <laughs> I'm going to leave a Google review. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you're you're Yelp. You're only getting to and then, and then yeah. it would have been bad and then you would have heard it might have been some choice words from the barbers to the de- so it's good that he did that. Yes. 
Second thing, though, what did they say? What was their reasoning? Because my, my thing is, this is a, a wild theory. I have mm-hmm. nothing to back this up. <laughs> okay. It's just me observing okay. white people mm-hmm. doing things that they do. White people, white peopling. Right. As it pertains to adoption. Yes. From what I've seen mm-hmm. on my 34 years on earth, mm-hmm. ever since I was a kid to now, when white people adopt black kids, they're typically non-black American kids. So they will yes. be from another country. Absolutely. I want to know why they do that. Mm-hmm. And did you have that conversation with them? And what did they tell you about why they chose Ethiopian? All the kids in America. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, yep. there's a lot of kids in America that need help. Not to say that Ethiopia, but like, we, right. we in America. Right. Let's, there are let's black just be kids. Honest. Like, we, you know, I mean, there's over 5,000 kids in foster care in, Port, in Oregon. Right. And so I want to know from the mind mm-hmm. of a white person mm-hmm. that wants to adopt a melanated child, why do you all go for international children right as opposed to domestic children that's a good question did you have a conversation with them in any shape or form i did um i didn't have it why you know an ethiopian kid over you know a black american kid my conversation was why did you adopt black kid a black black children period period yeah and um yeah but it i mean it took a while for me to get to that point to ask him Mm -hmm. but when i did um well, I had more conversation with the wife than the husband, but um, from what I was told was that she actually did a lot of nonprofit work mm. with the Ethiopian community here okay. in Portland. Okay, she um, was it. I don't remember the the organization that she worked with mm-hmm. or worked for, but she had been there for at least fifteen years. Okay, so she. Uh, and she, you know, the relationships that she built with the elder people that she worked with at this, you know, Ethiopian, um, I don't remember what it's called, but it's like a nonprofit and they kind of help Ethiopians specifically to transition from living in Africa to living in, in, the, in the States, in Oregon. Okay. And so they help them with housing. They help them get clothes. They help them get, you know, toiletries, um, jobs, filling out job applications. So it's stuff like that. And uh, but there's also points where they just kind of come together as a community of, you know, Ethiopians and they have meals and, you know, they got the elders telling stories to, you know, the younger kids. So she spent a lot of time with this group of people. Mm-hmm. So. In, and so they had chose to adopt Ethiopian kids because they had they had a relationship, they had a relationship with the community for sure. So that's what. That's that's their, a logical sequence. I can I can see that. Their yeah. story and For why sure. they adopted yeah. Ethiopian kids. That's cool. And that's I don't and know. It, it, everything <laughs> everything is nuanced. Right. You can't paint a broad right. a broad brush on anything. Exactly. But yeah, that, that so makes that, sense. So when I was told this, I was like, All right, that's cool. <laughs> Word. Yeah. For sure. Now I wanna ask this about because you mentioned this earlier about, you know, um, learning about the ancestry test that your was it your mom took? No, it's my grandma. My or your, or your grandma took the ancestry. My test. grandma took. Well, my grandma's sister. My grandma has a younger sister. Okay. who lives in Indiana. Okay, um, she took the ancestry, and they both got the same parents. Yes. Okay, so she took it, mm-hmm. 
and I actually can pull up. <laughs> but yes, I actually posted it on my Instagram. I remember that. Shortly after, because yeah. I said that I was a white woman. <laughs> I remember that too. I'm like, Val is tripping, bro. Like, but, what's, um, what's going on, Val? Yeah, so <laughs> my grandmother's DNA came mm. back as um, 55% um, I think it's like European West. Okay. Um, which, if you're looking at a map, the west side of Europe. For sure. Is France. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. Or it could be Or it could Spain be Spain. Portugal. Yeah, Portugal. Mm-hmm. But the other lower percentages were like Scandinavian and mm-hmm. um, I think maybe even German or something like that. Right. So, yeah. So, tell me about what that did for you. And your identity, you know, like light-skinned black woman, you fully identify as black. I've never known you to, you know, not identify as black. You, Except you're not, that the day that I posted. Right. And then and then Instagram, I'm like, I was like, Yo. I, am, I basically acted like a white girl for like one day. Did you cry white girl tears? What happened? So me and my cousin, my younger cousin, um, we... She she was the one that told I didn't know about the DNA test. Yeah. She sent it to me because she was like, we're white. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Okay. So so she sent it to me and I was like, oh, we are white. So um, basically, we just spent that day just being oblivious to everybody that's around us. We would we went to we went to breakfast. You guys. (laughs) We're white chicks. We were white chicks, yes. Wow. So we went to breakfast out at uh, Cascade Station, uh-huh. and we kind of just, um, you know, we were just difficult, <laughs> to say okay. the least. And then there okay. were other groups of people, <laughs> you know, and you know when, you know, some brown folks, some black folks get together, they get a little loud. Oh, my goodness. So we were like, oh, my gosh, why are they just being so loud? Like, <laughs> trying to enjoy my breakfast so after we <laughs> so after we left there we went to target which is my jam like i don't even have to need anything to go to target and i'll spend 200 dollars. so anyway oh. so we went to target and um yeah we would just like stop in the middle of the aisle <laughs> knowing that there were people behind us um oh my god this is hilarious yeah so just like (laughs) all the things that i feel how many pumpkin spice lattes did you drink in one day you know i had about three okay and i busted out my ugg boots okay but i just feel like and you took a picture with the leaves on the ground i didn't take a picture with the leaves on the ground. i did take a picture with my starbucks cup with the with the cup Mm With a Bible verse on it? <laughs> no, not a Bible verse, but I put the little foliage emoji. Oh, you know. Okay. So, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So it was just all the things that I feel like white people do that annoy me. Yeah. I did. Wow. For how long? Just a day. A day. Mm-hmm. And then so, I was like, back to reality because I'm black. So. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's funny. Yeah, so I found the DNA test. So, <laughs> so fifty five percent Europe. Yeah. So twenty five percent was Europe West, and then thirteen percent was Ireland, mm. and then ten percent was Great Britain, with okay. some other, you know, lower percentages um, like Scandinavia, Greece, Finland, right? Yeah. 
So then the um, other portion was African at 45%, yeah. which was Ivory Coast, Ghana, and then Senegal. Right. So that's my grandmother's. Um, I'm about to say, did you did you get your pop side? That's my that's my dad's mom. Oh, so that is that's my dad's. Well, okay, his mom. His mom. Okay, so what about your mom's side? Have you gotten a test from there, or have you just personally taken one? I haven't personally taken one, okay. but that's for different reasons because I don't want to, my DNA to be set up I feel for you. a murder. Right. So I have refused to do a DNA test. Very I have wise. seen a lot of murder documentaries and you're oh. not going to get my, I'm not going to willingly give you my DNA. For sure. For sure. Um, not that I, out there. I'm, I'm, not, I'm screwed. Not that I, you know, have ever committed a crime or I don't think I have a family member, you know, twice removed or three times removed. That's, it's okay if you committed a crime. No judgment over here. No, I haven't. I okay. mean, I, I used to steal. Right. <laughs> but I don't know anybody that didn't steal when they were kids right. or teenagers or whatever. Yeah, we all committed I used to steal crimes. Laffy Taffy's, so banana. Mm. Banana? So. Really? You yes. stole that? You you taking penitentiary chances for a, <laughs> a banana Laffy Taffy? I like banana Laffy Taffy. Ugh. I'm like the only person. but you, You're not the only one. There's a few of y'all yeah. out there. Or like, you know, watermelon now and later. So. Oh, yeah. You can't go wrong with that. No. I'm, I might I might take chances. I mean, yeah, like, you know, so that was kind of like the extent of my crime. Right. But like, I might have, you know, a distant relative who, you know, is a serial killer. Mm. And not that I'm, you know, don't want this person in jail, but I'm not going to just make it easy. Right. So, I feel you. I feel you. <laughs> yeah. So, on your dad's side, you don't know mm-hmm. anybody that's taking a test? Um, My or mom's any side. Cousins or uncles or anything? Aunts? No. Um, my, on your mom's side, yeah. My mom's side, I believe my mom did hers. Um, and I don't remember the percentages, but it was like, 98 percent african oh, i don't really? remember yeah 98 yeah how <laughs> that's what i said that that ain't right it is that she took it i have to ask her i have to have me i have to have her that's amazing the, 98 yeah and my mom's light too yeah, mom was super light and her mom well, not super light but like yeah to be 98 because yeah and my wow. yeah my mom um her mother you know, her mom had sisters, most my, you know, sibling, her siblings. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was. That's dope. Yeah. But the thing, you know, the thing about those tests. You the, have to take the, it with, you know, a grain of salt, though. A lot of, like, not even grain. You got to take <laughs> it's like, the whole you know, joint because. Yeah. They're only, it can only calculate. Right. Like a 1%. There's, there's so many ancestors right. to take into account. Right. So to narrow it down to some region and yeah. have it be accurate like nobody really knows i have heard about a dna test that um for um you know black folks the african ancestry the african ancestry yeah, yeah. that kind of narrows it down to like tribes tribe. and things like that yeah, yeah but i haven't i don't know I don't, even then i'm like i don't know how accurate it's I've they're heard. they're all highly to be honest like right. highly inaccurate as far right. as like no one there it's not like 100 percent sure right like right. they're, they're like, all right, well, you have you really have like a one percent chance that mm-hmm. this is like a hundred percent correct. Yeah. But it just kind of steers you in whatever direction that is DNA is leading to. Yeah. But um, the African ancestor DNA, I did want to take that test. Yeah. But because and they don't they don't sell your information, but also 
that's why their test is more because they don't sell your information. Oh, okay. So their test is like three hundred dollars, okay. and everybody else's test is like a hundred um, or yeah, eighty. Yeah, you or can something get it on like sale for fifty nine dollars. Exactly. For exactly. you know a holiday. So, right. Yeah. Yeah, Black Friday. <laughs> I, I think, think actually I think that's what I did. I got it like on a Black Friday, see? <laughs> and I got it for like sixty. So yeah, they and they do them like Mother's Day and Father's Day. Yeah, and I'm like y'all just, not going. Man, just gave up all my. DNA, and I'm like, bro. how y'all just gonna make DNA testing just like mad commercial? Like yeah. y'all got advertisements. Yeah, man, because they said it's a big business. Yeah, so, you know. yeah. So I'm, so did that did, did that do anything for your? I I know you were white for a day, and you know you were stomping <laughs> around in your UGG boots. <laughs> You know, and just mad at and loud shorts. black people in shorts yeah. in the winter. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just don't feel no type of cold air whatsoever. Mm-mm. Just comfortable. Did that? Did that shake up your identity? Like you literally went on IG and was like, "I'm a white woman." For you to, for somebody <laughs> that's black to say that and put that out to the world, I'm like, "Yo, that's it." it you feeling some type of way right now, Val? What's going I on? I think I was more in shock. For sure. Because after we got the testing back and mm-hmm. everybody went to my grandma and was like, yo, you're 55. Like, you're white. Mm. Like, if you're going based on percentages, like, mm. your higher percentage is white. You're more white than you are black. Right. And what did your grandma say? My grandma was like, oh, my dad was white. And I'm like. She didn't tell nobody that. I'm like. What do you mean? Like, yeah. this was like a familial shock. Yeah, nobody in the family knew that. No. Okay. And it because and we asked her, like, why didn't she say anything? She's like, well, you just don't talk about it. Back in that back in that time? Mm-hmm. My grandma yeah. will be 83 in October. Word. So back in that, you know, and when she was growing, you didn't talk about it. Mm. It was just what it was. Wow. And the other part about it was I always thought that my if you see a picture of my great grandmother my grandma's mom um my dad's grandmother um I like you look at it and she looks like a Native American woman Mm. just her skin tone her hair um she looks like you know what you would see you know in Native American like museums like that's how she looks Mm -hmm. so it was really surprising you know, getting a DNA test and we have like zero. That's that's <laughs> why. Look, look, that's why I say these tests don't tell you the whole story. Right. Because you can't even. All right. When they talk about Native Americans. Right. And Africans. And right. We came over here on the slave ship. Right. A lot of us was already here. Right. And that's one part of history that they will not talk about. Right. And you got to dig and dig mm-hmm. and dig to find out the truth. Absolutely. And so a lot of these folks that was quote unquote native, the people that they call native are more like the Mongolian type right. people, you know? Right. Like, and, and that's why they look more Asian and, mm-hmm. or a mix of Asian and maybe um, Mexican or something right. like that. Right, right. But there was a lot of folks that mm-hmm. are native. Right. But we, but because the test won't, cla- right. and we were never classified as native. Right. We were just classified as black. Right. Because it was us that was here, and then you right. brought over some Africans, and we all look the same. And that's because Africans been selling to this land right. for centuries. Right. Over a thousand, you know what I mean? Exactly. So it's just like, we've been here. So yeah, your, your grandma looked like, and everybody, every black person said, oh, I got Indian I in got me. Indian Because in we do. Right. But because the white supremacist makes the classifications... They set our identity. And so right. now we don't say that we're native or we're right. indigenous. We right. 
only associate with the African side. Yeah, and that's the other part is that of that is like in the Afro Latino community. Yeah, it's the same thing. Oh, yeah. I'm not black. I'm Dominican. Okay, well, where do you think slave? You think slaves just went to America? <laughs> Most of them went to the islands, right? Yeah. So I'm sure if you look back in your, you know, your ancestry, your great great grandma, because we're not gonna go great 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 grandma, because right. that's that's just we don't have to go back that far. Yeah. But we can go, you know, two or three generations back, and I'm sure your great great grandma or your great great grandpa was black. But when we say black, right? When they say black. It's two totally different Very things. Very true. When they say black, they're talking about black American. Right. They're talking about what white people would call N-words. Right. When when we say black, we just saying, you probably got some African ancestry right. somewhere down the line. Right. And in America, you only need one drop of black blood to be considered black. Right. <laughs> you know? And so, yeah. but then with them, we, with their indigenous people. Mm-hmm. You know, if if they have a, a closer tie to their indigenous heritage, mm-hmm. they wouldn't call themselves black because right. that's a, a classification from the outside coming right. in. Right. Exactly. You know? so, exactly. Because we don't know our history. We don't. You know, exactly. We, just, we take the label that's given. Right. Yeah. And I and to be honest, in these like ancestries, you know, these ancestry kits, I've seen quite a few different people, you know, their their percentages and. I think for the, I would say, 15, 20 that I've seen, mm-hmm. I think I've seen one that actually even showed up with any kind of native anything. Always, so it's I, not mine even, is like 1%. Right. So it's not even like a classification. It's not real. None right. Of, and that's what it... That's and so that's where it's... <laughs> exactly. So that's where you're like, man, I really feel like I, you know, there's I have native, you know, blood. I do. I know I do. And then you get this DNA test and you don't, it's not even there. Yeah. So when that was for me, it was like when my grandma got that back, I was Mm -hmm. like, what do you mean? Yeah. It's not, and there's like, not even, it's not even like a less than one person. Every black person, no, like they grandparents, they big mom, like, oh yeah, this person, like I, as far as I know, you know, on my, um, on my dad's side. Cherokee and Blackfoot. Mm -hmm. That's what the family has always said. We part Cherokee and Blackfoot. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, on my mom's side, no, my dad's side was Cherokee, my mom's side was Blackfoot. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and that's just been a common thing and it's not something where a point of pride is just right. like, oh yeah, that's, you know, you also have that heritage in you as right, well. Right, right. And then you get these tests back and it's all pointing back to Africa. Right. But that's because we were here before Columbus. Right. <laughs> right. So it's okay. A man. lot of people were here before Columbus. Exactly. So exactly. You can go. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, so it's just interesting. Um, and then my grandpa hasn't done one. My dad's dad um, hasn't done one. He's said that he's Af- he said he's Ethiopian, mm-hmm. just because that's what he said. Yeah. So and you know you can't really argue with Poppy. So right. yeah. So it's just been interesting, just kind of figure that out, and then you know looking at him like okay, y'all just y'all have. Basically, you take someone's DNA and kind of just throw a dart at the board and you're 42% Scandinavian. You know what I mean? Like, it's Mm -hmm. not really like, yeah, there may be some distinctive, you know, markers in your DNA, but you're going to have to take those things as just. 
I mean, it tells recent history and like as as much information as they can gather right now. Right. About the people that are here and the people that are taking those tests. Because like right. when I when I took my test the first time I took it, because I took you the one that inspired me. Why? Because because you took it, and I was like, you were one of the first person, you were one of the first people that posted it. Oh, okay. On on IG or just on social media, yeah. I was like, oh, that's cool. I want to find out and so, <laughs> if you're a white woman. <laughs> well, I knew I was, you know. right? But uh, I just want to see how black I was. Yeah, you know, and so um, and I think that was also part of it too that I thought I would be blacker. Yeah, yeah. It's a little shock. Yeah, but look, that was only one half though because that's you didn't true. take the test directly. Yeah, you know, so maybe if your I mom should. is ninety eight. And your I, dad I mean, is she's probably not 50. 98. I, I just threw that out. But it's a, it's a large percentage yeah, of yeah, African. For sure. So. And so when I took my test, the first time I took it, mm-hmm. or I only took it once, first results that came back, I was 84% African. Mm. And then, you know, 11% mm-hmm. European or, so, or 13 or something like that. And then whatever. Right. And then I, I checked it a few months ago. Mm-hmm. It's because, like, um. On my wife's side, like her her cousins was taking the test. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, let me let me check my. I'm trying to remember what areas I was from, and you know, mm-hmm. and it went from 84 to 88. Oh, you blacker. So I'm more blacker than <laughs> this year than I was in 2016 <laughs> or 2017. And so I'm just like, can you this imagine? T- this, I'm blacker now. You can't yeah, even like, bruh. But that's yeah. And that's that's how. And it's all about the amount of information that they're getting mm-hmm. and tracing it back and trying to make yeah. it more exact but like when it comes to the native american piece mm-hmm. the the quote-unquote natives in america mm-hmm. have pretty much been wiped out mm-hmm. so like you have a very small pool to even right choose from right and so all those tribes yeah. that got wiped out you know right. what i mean it's just like right you can't Absolutely. you can't even test them anymore mm-hmm. and so all you have left is oh well they're black they're classified as black uh it's kind of going back to Africa. Well, yeah, yeah. we've been here. And we, know? yeah, and we're not even going to just, we're just going to say native. We're not going to say, you know, a specific tribe or anything like that. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just really interesting. I might do it, um, but I might have to go through the African ancestry because yeah. I don't want to go to jail for something I didn't do. That's the logical conclusion <laughs> of these tests. They're going to they gonna frame us with this yeah. DNA. So, yeah. Yeah. That's wild. That's funny that you was white for a day, though. That's, yeah. You know. I mean, I pro- I mean, I feel like I'm one of those people who, until I open my mouth mm-hmm. and start talking, mm-hmm. could pass. Like, you know, I, if I wear my hair straight, if I'm not wearing it curly. Mm-hmm. I've been asked, oh, are you black? Mm. Or... Just, you know, just stuff like that. Your hair, you, oh my gosh, how'd your hair grow so long? As if black people's hair don't grow, mm. right? So, um, so yeah, it was kind of just, yeah, it was like kind of, it was shocking to get that result back from that, yeah. uh, from the DNA testing. So I might take it, I don't know. I just, I just watch too much murder documentaries <laughs> to just set myself up for something like that. That's funny. So, so at this point in time, you're like 32 years 32. old. 32. Um, would you say you have any type of struggles with identity, uh, racial identity, or is everything pretty much secure and like all that stuff was just more of a thing of going through adolescence and kind of dealing with it? Um, I don't think I really struggle with racial identity anymore. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm black. Yeah. So, you know, it would take basically an act of God for it to be, for me to feel other you know something 
dramatic would have to happen. For sure. Um, what's, what's your advice when it comes to just those that are light skinned and feel like, you know, I'm not black enough for black people. I'm not white enough for white people. And right. I don't know where I fit in. Like what advice would you give them? I would say, you know, get in where you fit in. Like, mm. you know, it's not anyone else to tell you how black or how white or whatever you mm. are. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it was, okay, well, if I'm not, you know, black enough, that's your issue. I'm black. Yeah. I'm not going to convince you otherwise. I'm going to be myself. And I think that's, I don't know, I, I kind of, that's kind of been, you know, how I've looked at it you know, as I've gotten older, like I have, you know, I have mixed race friends. I have, you know, who have been told the same thing. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I think that you just have to be comfortable with yourself. Um, whether you're light skin, um, or dark skin and, um, yeah. So you just have to be comfortable with yourself. I think, um, if the people are telling you, you know, I don't think I've ever been told that I'm not black enough. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I've been told I'm not black, <laughs> right? but, um, I don't think I've ever been told I'm not black enough, but I think, yeah, just, you just have to, people are going to be ignorant and a lot of it is just self-projection. You know, mm. they're projecting their own insecurities, um, on, you know, on you. So if you're light skin, you know, I know I have like family members who are like, 75% white. Mm. So it's, you know, like they have a mixed race parent and a white parent. Yeah. So, you know, like who cares if yeah. you identify as black, you black. Mm. If you actually black though, not no Rachel Dozel. <laughs> you got to have some, you African, have to actually have to have indigenous, right. You know, yeah. Yeah. You can't just be like, I'm transracial. Yeah. Yeah. That don't happen. Cause nah. that's why she's going to jail for fraud. Cause yeah. Yeah. You can't be lying. No. And it's, yeah, just, yeah. If you identify as black and you black, then you black. Yeah. That's it. Period. So, period. Nothing else to say about that. No. Word. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can dig that, man. Cause uh, I mean, it's just, the 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 identity piece is so is so nuanced mm-hmm. and everybody has their own experience and so there is no there is no one way to do it no you know mm-hmm. um at the end of the day the labels that are put on us it's up to us if we're going to accept that and try to fit into that which typically it never works right so it's all up to us to go through our own process just mm-hmm. knowing who you are having that self-awareness absolutely and coming to your own conclusion yeah and you get to define what's black yeah nobody else gets to define that for you Word. um cuz there's no you know there's no standard black you know what I mean? Like well, I mean, in the sense of like, according to BET and VH1, oh there is a gosh. standard of black. Oh, okay. So let's let's fall in line with the Mona Scott Youngs of the world <sighs> and what other <laughs> other Ugh. execs and producers that yeah, produce I just, black content for. Yeah, <laughs> no, and I'm talking about like those prejudices. No, like, for sure, for sure. Oh, you have to eat fried chicken, or you have to like watermelon. Well, guess what? I don't like watermelon. <gasps> me neither. I cannot stand watermelon. Me neither. So, I just, does I've that never... make me less black? Nope. Yes, it does. <laughs> we are less black. I'm, I'm not gonna lie to you. Like, I don't, any family reunion I go to, and I don't eat no watermelon, I'm, mm-hmm. they they talking bad about me. So, yes, we are less. But black. But I feel like I make up for that because I can play spades and I can play dominoes. So, Bro, you know how non-black I am. Mm. I don't like watermelon. Mm. 
I can play dominoes. Okay. Can you play spades? I cannot play spades. Oh. Because I, I went, I'm past the threshold. Yeah, because you can't be taught after a certain age. Yeah, after about, what, 10, 12? Yeah, and I'm about to get real black on you because my dad taught me and my sister how to play pluck. Never heard of it. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. that's like spades on crack. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I I lose black points. Yeah, back in, back in cornrow. Y'all, we just joking. So. But I lose black points <laughs> for not being able to play spades and not eating watermelon. I don't like greens. Mm, I just started liking greens. I cannot stand greens. Cabbage. I hate cabbage. Ugh. My dad loves cabbage, and it makes the whole house. So sink. I lose a lot. Yeah. I lose a lot of black points. Yeah. However, mm-hmm. I have seen Harlem Nights. I have not. See, you lost a few points. <laughs> so, yeah, we're gonna put you. But have you seen Fresh? Of course. Okay, yes. just check it for sure. For sure. Somebody looked at me because they had no idea what Fresh was, and I was like, mm. How old were they though? Older than me, thirty-two. I'm thirty-two. No, nah, if if you're in your thirties, if you're in your thirties, you ain't seen Fresh. That's that's problematic. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I haven't seen Harlem Nights. Mm. Mm-hmm. There's a few that I, I'm a, I'm gonna be honest, I haven't seen. Like what? Um, I'm gonna say that softly so I can judge you later. <laughs> what? What is it? What haven't you seen? That I'm trying you? to think. So I haven't seen Harlem Nights. There's another one that I haven't seen. You haven't seen Boys in the Hood? I've seen Boys in the Hood. Um, yeah, I just can't think of it off the top of my head, but. Somebody, oh, how you you you? How many points can you get if you can check these off? <laughs> yeah, no, there's there's plenty of black tests, and, like, and there, there's a car, there's a game that we have. It's, it's called like the black card or something like that. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. It's, it's and when it gets to the movie section, I'm like, mm, yeah. If you grew that. up in a Christian household, you just weren't allowed to see certain worldly movies. Yes. Like I have not, I have not seen. Um, what's the what's the movie where she burnt up the car? Oh, a thin line. No, that's um, not a thin line. Mm, waiting to exhale. I have not seen Waiting to Exhale. Really? Yeah. I've seen Waiting to Exhale. But you're a woman. Though, I am. So that was kind of just you know growing up. Word. But I've also seen movies like. Okay, I'm about to show my white side. Which my mom, my but my mom got me on me. <laughs> Go ahead, Uptown Girls. Yeah, I've seen it too. I've seen Uptown Girls, <laughs> um, but I'm taking it way back to like Anna Green Gables. I don't know what that is. Right, it's like about a girl and of Green Gables who was she was a, like lived on a pilgrim, like she was a pilgrim lived on a farm. Okay, but it was funny. Okay, so yeah, um, I, you know I can. You seen Notting Hill, haven't you? I seen Notting. I've Hill. seen Notting Hill. Yeah, you seen yeah, it? I have. Yeah, I've seen it too. But yeah, when it's, you ain't nothing wrong with being eclectic. No, nothing wrong with that. You know, and whatsoever. No, and you know, I like house music, so that's cool. I mean, yeah, but I think we started that though. We did. Oh, let me. I mean, what what haven't we started? Let's be honest. Right. Let's be honest. I had a coworker. Okay. When I was, so I used to bake. Yeah. I don't bake. That means you smoked weed, right? Is that what that means? <laughs> no, not oh. wake and bake, oh, but okay. like bake, bake, like make cakes and oh, okay, for things sure, like that. Okay. So that's kind of like my side hustle. So if you need a cake, holler at me. Okay, yeah. Um, but yeah, so worked at a bakery, mm-hmm. donut shop, and there was a guy who felt like white guy, older white guy who felt like he was just like you know a musical snob. Oh, okay. And he know? would say things like he doesn't like rap music because he would say he w- he would try to like justify why he didn't like it mm-hmm. because they would you you know. Oh, they're using a beat machine. That's not playing an instrument. I'm like, can you can you use a beat machine? Can can you do that? <laughs> right. Like stuff like that. Yeah. And so he would justify it. And I'm like, just say you don't like black music. 
And now, and so I said that to him. I said, "Just say you don't like black music." He's like, "Fine, I don't like black music." I was like, then "Don't listen to nothing." <laughs> you don't listen to R and B. I was like, "Don't, don't listen, listen to, to country. Don't listen to rock and roll. House music. Don't listen to nothing." Yeah, you can listen. I mean, I'll give you some classical. Yeah, even but, but you can't listen to no jazz. Can't listen can't to no jazz. Can't listen to no. I mean, don't listen to nothing. Don't listen nothing. to no music. Then yeah. that's what I told him. He's like, "What do you mean?" I was like, "Y'all think that white people started <laughs> country?" Yeah, rock and y'all don't blues, rock blues, and roll, like, rock and stop roll, it. like stop it, jazz. No, stop, stop. Yeah, and try, trying to whitewash it because Adele, I love Adele, but she's not the face of R and B. Nah, I'm sorry. Nah, stop it. She sound good. Mm-hmm. She could play. She can sing some R and B. Justin Timberlake, stop. Yeah, stop. Yeah, we gotta stop. That. So Miley Cyrus, please nah, stop. We, come on, wife. No. Remember she went black though. Yeah, she she did for two years or something. Like that. Yeah, yeah. And then everybody was, oh, Miley Cyrus, Miley Cyrus. And then she went white. Remember? That's because she what got, they kept do. getting in trouble. They get what they need and they go back. Right. It's yeah. you love black culture but not being black. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. So yeah, I just I don't even know what I was saying, but yeah. We, we were yeah we were talking about our, our black card and yeah black card and our I'm eclectic. black you black yeah if you black if you identify as black and you black. Then you black. Then you black. No said. <laughs> I don't got nothing else to say about That's it. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Well, Val, back in uh, 2017, early 2017, when we first got down on the podcast, I did not have a Fab Five, but I have one now. Okay. So I'm going to hit you with it. Okay. Um, first question. Uh huh. One question. One A. What's your favorite genre of music? Oh, that's a good question. I like. My favorite genre would have to be 90s R&B. What artist or album made you fall in love with R&B in the 90s? Oh, man. Drew Hill. Drew Hill. You're the first one to drop Drew Hill on this podcast. Drew Hill was my group. Like mm, Cisco and them. Cisco, all of them. Yeah. That was my jam. Drew Hill. Wow. What, what, songs, what, what were they songs? Um, The album was Enter the Dragon. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> it was the red yeah, album cover where yeah, Cisco's yeah. laying across and he's kind of got to have a shirt What happened on. to Cisco? Where's he at? He um, ain't making he tr- no music. He tried to make a comeback yeah. and, you know, Just didn't work it out. didn't work out. Mm. Um, Yeah. Enter the Dragon. But Five Steps mm. was my my jam. I mean, but I, I don't think people really know this about me, but I grew up literally... Like my toddler, early adolescence, I spent at the club. What? Like not like the club, like now where you go to a club and people dance and sing. I'm talking about like club, club. Like my dad was a DJ and he would host parties. And oh, so you was really yeah, like House of Sound. Thing. I don't know. Oh, people, I remember the House of House Sound. House of Sound yeah. before. For before Vancouver and Williams yeah, looked got, like what it looks for now, sure, for sure. There was a place um, off of Vancouver, yeah, off Vancouver, Vancouver yeah, off Fremont, yeah, yeah. called House of Sound. Word. And you could go in. It was like a music place. You could rent out a venue. You can have parties. You could have live music. Yeah, and my dad would DJ. Word. And <laughs> growing up, my parents would take us, and me and my sister would be in pajamas, literally mm. in the upstairs <laughs> bed. Uh, there's an upstairs room. 
that doesn't have anything in it that people would use as storage. And yeah. we would have to like sleep there. Wow. But there's Pops like, because Pops is getting it in. Yeah. And there's like 300 people downstairs. Wow. So, how does, you know, a four year old sleep with that much music going on downstairs? Didn't happen. So, me and my sister would sit at the little, there was a stair case, like a stairwell, and then you, there's like a little, um, landing and then you go into the room. So we would mm. just sit on the landing and watch people dance and watch my dad DJ and that's how I grew up. That's dope. So, Pops you know, my dad still got his records and I'm talking about records. Oh, the vinyl. The vinyl. Yeah. Let me just, let me take you back real quick. <laughs> a little, little nostalgia for you. <laughs> I'm going to try really hard not to sing. It's okay. No. Go ahead, nobody you got that. it. Nope. High quality mics. This is my jam. Go ahead, man. No. Nobody want to hear it. No. Just join join them real quick. Say my prayers every night. Hey. <laughs> one for my father. Hey. One for the love of my life. All right now. Listen. Hey. <laughs> Singing this song and had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> Just young and just just loved it. You just right. love that song. I you? do. Yeah. That's my jam. I went to go see Boys to Men when they came. Well, it's three of them now. Yeah. But they came and played with the Oregon Symphony. Really? Mm-hmm. What was that? They've been recently. They've been here twice mm-hmm. doing the same Oregon Symphony thing. Yeah. I believe they were here either earlier last year, earlier this year or late last year. Yeah. And then I went, I believe, two years ago. Mm. So I didn't go this, the more recent time they came, but I came the first time they were here. Man, 90s R&B was special, It bro. was. They, they, all the, they had all them groups. Right. And all people would, like sang love songs. Yeah. And we don't have that no more. Yeah, ain't no R&B. Are, are there any R&B groups right now? R&B groups? Who's singing? Who's singing right now? Um, In 2019? I mean, there's he oh, who... Oh, Mai Tai. I haven't heard of Mai Tai. Jeremiah... And Ty Dolla Sign. Oh. Does, does that count? Does that count as a group? <laughs> they came out with a joint album. I don't know. Was it called My Tie? It was called My Tie. Oh, yeah. That's I'm really sorry. sad. Yeah. <laughs> it uh, had, a, it I had like, like three songs that I liked. I but. do like Ty Dolla Sign. Yeah. Um, Jeremiah got singles. He does. He does. Um, But I don't know any groups, though. It ain't no groups. It's no groups. I mean,. Diddy's bringing back the band, so we'll see. We might have a he. They okay. Day twenty six coming through. I don't care about day twenty six. I never listen to day twenty six unless they was on making the band. Right. But can I get like some episodes of making the band? Like, can we put that back on TV? Like the old episodes? Yeah, I don't know what like Viacom is doing with those. Like walking to walking to Brooklyn to get cheesecake. Yeah, and yeah. then dropping the cheesecake outside of Juniors. Like, can we get that back, please? Yeah. Like that was good reality TV. It was. That was like the beginning. That was like stages. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. For sure. Drew Hill, nineties R and B, all day. Yeah, that's a that's a good time. Keith for Sweat. R&B. Yeah. You know. The boys out there begging. <laughs> the begging master. Man, the king. Man, I mean, you know, Brian McKnight. He came out with that new song, and I was like, no, this is not it. But he came out with a song recently. Yeah. Mm. I don't remember what it's called, but it was highly inappropriate. Really? For a 60-year-old man to be seen. I'm glad I didn't hear it. I don't want to mess up my impression of Brian McKnight. Right. Or question number two, is there a movie that has changed your outlook on life? A movie? Yeah. 
see, I tend to, this is my thing. I can, I love movies. Like I'll watch movies. I'll put a movie on and I'll watch a movie. Mm -hmm. I love watching movies. Movies now, like, I love what Ava DuVernay is doing right now. Mm, she's killing it she's right now. Kill, like, I think When They See Us has, like, 16 Emmy nominations really? her Netflix special. As it should. As it should. Yeah. But I cannot watch shows like that. I can't watch. So you didn't watch it? No. Okay. I know the story. Right, right. Um, too much trauma? It's too much trauma. Yeah. And at some point, I I have to limit myself on what I'm going to put, I'm going to watch. For sure. Because I cannot keep watching people who look like me, who look like my family, who look like my friends mm -hmm. being, you know, murdered by police, being thrown in jail for crimes they didn't commit for the systemic racism that is in this country. For sure. I cannot, I cannot have, I can't continue to desensitize, my, desensitize myself to those things. So I'll read an article. Um, there are very few things that I'll watch mm -hmm. anymore. Because um, when I hear about you know, police shooting an unarmed black man or, you know, beating up an unarmed pregnant black woman or a little girl at the swimming pool with her friends. I in my every time I hear a story like that, I see CNN playing Walter Scott being shot in the back mm -hmm. over and over by a police officer because he was running away. Mm -hmm. And I cannot. I don't, I can't, that's black trauma and I don't want to watch it. Yeah. I can't, I'm not going to keep traumatizing myself. For sure. So I have kind of just made peace with myself and then I limit the trauma that I watch. I can understand that. For um, sure. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I actually deleted and deactivated my Facebook mm. because people will repost, retweet, you know, video of, you know, brown and black people being shot and killed in the For street. For sure, yeah. Or, you know, little brown kids in cages, you know, trying to get a better, you're trying to have a better life yeah. in cages. Yeah. And I can't watch it. Yeah. I, I mean, I try to stay as informed as I can, but I'm not going to, I can't watch the videos. Mm. Um, so, well, is any good media you've been seeing lately? Any good movies? Any... Good movie. I mean, I saw Lion King. Word. Loved it. Did it change your outlook on life? Did <sighs> Did the Beyonce knowledge just instill <laughs> a sense of pride in you that you didn't have before? I mean, nothing will ever be give me as much pride as seeing Black Panther. Yeah. Um, Black Panther just was like a whole nother level for me, just because myself when my nephew was younger he's six now when he was you know three four five he was super into like marvel and hulk mm -hmm. you know and captain america but then you know black panther comes out and he's excited to see you know a main character not falcon who's you know the sidekick to captain america yeah. like the whole movie was us was us yeah so he may not have understood 
a lot of it, but he was like, they look like me. Yeah, he don't have to understand. And his, his brain is going to make sense of it the older right. he get because it's, it's recorded. It's exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, just to see us in a light, that's us, you know, not being, you know, a slave, not being, you know, a butler or the help. Yeah. Um, That's why I didn't see the, what was the movie called? Green Book. Oh, I didn't watch that either. About Dr. Shirley, the, um, he was a violinist. Mm-hmm. Um. I, didn't I did want to see that though, but I, I didn't. I didn't see when, that. just a brief kind of synopsis of not about the movie, but about the controversy surrounding the movie. Okay, is that the family of Doctor Shirley, who is the supposed to be the main character? He's black from the South, mm-hmm. and he would travel to these places, you know, throughout the South, um, to play in these like high end places. Yeah, because he played, you know, played violin. Mm-hmm. And so he had so the but the story isn't about him so much as it is his driver who basically was written by the grandson, I believe, of the driver who basically his basically the story is his his account, his grandfather, basically his account of what his grandfather told him as a white savior mm-hmm. kind of show, mm-hmm. like a kind of movie yeah. where if. He didn't have this driver. Dr. Shirley wouldn't have been able to play in these places. And just from what the family of Dr. Shirley has said was that, you know, he this isn't accurate. They asked us years ago and they asked, you know, Dr. Shirley years ago if they could do, you know, a movie about his life. And they told him no, Mm. because it's the grandson of this driver who only worked with him for about six weeks. Mm from what the family has said that he didn't keep employees around for longer than a month. Wow. So there was not this like deep connection between his driver and, you know, Dr. Shirley, it becomes this white savior. And so that was kind of like really disappointing that it won an Oscar because of, you know, the controversy surrounding it. And Mm. I love Mahershala Ali. He's like, he's dope. He's, he's about to be blade. Yeah. And I just, I love that he won an Oscar. I just don't like the movie that he won it with. For sure. So, yeah, I didn't like Green Book. I don't want to see, like, I don't want to see white savior movies where black people have to be saved to navigate spaces. Um, So, Um, yeah. Hollywood loves that. They do. And I don't want to see it anymore. Like, you think of the history of, you know, black people winning Oscars and it's you know Halle Berry in Monsters, Monsters Ball, Ball yeah. which if you haven't seen it, it's pretty Trash. gruesome. It's pretty you know violent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know Denzel Washington in Training, Training Day, Day which mm-hmm. he was a corrupt police officer. Mm-hmm. You know stuff like that. So you know what's her name Monique when she was Precious's mom. Yeah, they like, they like the stereotype. Yeah, they role. like when you play into those roles. Yeah. So yeah. I mean. That's why I like what Ava, du- Ava DuVernay is doing because mm-hmm. you're not seeing um, Lena Waithe. Mm-hmm. You're not seeing black people in these stereotypical roles. Mm-hmm. Issa, yeah, with um, Insecure. Mm-hmm. You know, it's young black women professional, sure. young black women. Yeah. Um, so it and then you miss shows like Girlfriends. Man, I just <laughs> love that show. I did too. Where and totally you know. So fun. <laughs> she was Tony. Oh, still is. Still. So and Jill, then where you know, you at? Where right, you at, girl. So mm. you know, you don't have those shows like you know, 
girlfriends living single where it's positive black people mm-hmm. doing things. So that's why I like where this new kind of um, generation of filmmakers and TV, you know, showrunners are putting more brown and black people in positions to redefine, you know, what it is to be black in Hollywood. Yeah. So yeah, even, I was I was mad when girlfriends went off the air. Me too. Me too. Oh my goodness. And like, then the young girl from um Blackish, Marseille Martin. Yeah, yeah. 14, youngest producer in Hollywood. Yeah, she's doing it. And wrote and directed what was it called? Little. I, with, didn't, I didn't see that. I didn't see it. Um I do I've actually rented it on DirecTV, so I probably will be watching it soon. Mm-hmm. But um yeah. I will say though. I didn't see it. I wanted to see it, but then I didn't see it because I felt like, I mean, she's only 14, whatever. Mm-hmm. Issa Rae is there, too. Issa and Regina Hall. Regina. Oh, I know Regina. I forgot. Regina Hall is in it. Okay. Yeah. Her so, and Marseille's character switch. However, mm-hmm. I don't know who financed the movie. True. But there was that white savior in, all up in there because it right. was the white man teacher that she right. fell in love with. And I, I and that's I was like, oh, they just they had to. Right. They had to put right. some white man in there. Right. To save the day, to be the Very true. love intro. I'm just like, oh, come on, bro. That's like, true. Seriously? Mm-hmm. Like how realistic? How realistic is that? Right. And so I was just like, you know what? I'm going to pass on this movie. That's true. Yeah. But they still doing their thing. Mm-hmm. She's young. Mm-hmm. Once she comes of age, she can do it her way. Right. She get more clout. Kind of yeah. like Ava. She, Ava's doing it her way. Absolutely. You know, so it's it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And shout out to Tyler Perry. No, don't don't roll your <laughs> eyes. No, no. I have. I will not allow that. Tyler Perry I have, is building his own table. He absolutely. Don't, he don't need no seat at the table. Absolutely. Got his own studio. I understand that. I have a love-hate relationship with Tyler Perry. I get it. And I get I, it. And it's not about the Medea character. I don't, whatever. It's about the angry black woman trope that he, that he, play, he has. Look, he in plays into every Just stereotype. about every he, stereotype of black women he in leans, his movies. He leans into the stereotypes. Yeah. I mean, his first play slash movies was Diary of a Mad Black Woman. Yeah. And I love Kimberly Elise. But that she was, was just, awesome. she was uh, awesome. yeah. So I, but but the, I do but there's like, like that. There's he's, like redeeming qualities of his stuff, right? Though, you know, even right. though the title is right, yeah, right. So I, so that's what I'm saying. I do have a love hate relationship with Tyler Perry. I love that he's got his own production studio. That he's you know financing this stuff himself. Yeah. That he's given, um black artists an opportunity where there was none before zero and um, he's given and just, so many people jobs right and then kind of just launching a lot of people's careers mm-hmm. taraji p henson yeah um is the first person that comes to mind but like i love that mm-hmm. but i don't love the other stuff i don't like the the stereotypes that he plays into the, the thing I I didn't I wasn't a big fan of him to begin. With. I mean, mm-hmm. his plays were funny. They were good. Mm-hmm. You know, it was good production. When it was us, for sure, for sure. When it was us, when I it didn't, was us watching, I didn't them. like the oily, grease down men that was coming out on stage right. every time. I'm like, come right. on, bro, every time come out of the shower or you know, yeah, I'm like getting right, dressed for work or that, whatever. All right, yeah. so, you know, time's up for that. We 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 got it. Like okay, but every play, you know. But right. the thing that I did 
I started coming around on Tyler Perry once he started really expanding the range of movies that he started to make, you know? And so mm-hmm. it wasn't just the same thing. Like right. that's what he needed to start. Mm-hmm. But then he showed his range and was like, yo, I'm about to make every type of movie. Right. And when he started doing that, I'm like, all right, cool. Like you not just doing that because you just want to lean into the stereotype. You, you're using what was given to you. Right. And what, what like, it's easiest to connect with people on that level. Right. And so you gain your core mm-hmm. and you show what you can do. But then once you get a bigger budget, you start right. diversifying. Yeah, so it becomes, I can respect that. I get it. it. Yeah, definitely. When you, you know, you have to, you're only given a certain space to be a black writer, a black producer, a black director, a black right. actor. Right. So once you do that and you do it well. Mm-hmm. You know, you start you, once that door opens mm-hmm. to, you know, other opportunities like when he did, um, he brought back a Morgan Freeman, Alex Cross. Mm-hmm. So once he kind of, you know, that door opened up a little bit, he just put his he just busted down the door. Exactly. So I do appreciate that. So he it wasn't like he was just I'm a I'm a be a coon for my whole life. It was right. like, yeah, I'm going to do this. Right. It's going to connect with people. Right. But then, you know, I'm mm-hmm. about to diversify my bonds real quick. <laughs> As. Yeah. Was it, was it Jizza or Rizza that said that? Oh, yes. Um, question number three. When you feel overwhelmed, mm. when you feel overwhelmed, how do you de-stress? Oh, man. That's a, that's, that's a deep question for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just recently kind of had a, for lack of a better word, mental health crisis. Mm-hmm. Um where I actually was, you know, in a mental health facility for a week. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I felt overwhelmed yeah. I f- yeah. um, just for different things going on. Um, and I f- kind of forgot my coping skills, my coping mm-hmm. mechanisms for different things that I had been dealing with, um, within my family and just, you know, my personal life. Um, but my, my go-to for when I feel overwhelmed is eye color. Mm. I love, so I got an iPad, right? Yeah. Because, you know, baller. And then, <laughs> just kidding, that was horrible. You got it. You got it. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, I can color on my iPad. Yeah. And, you know, just doing that for, you know, an hour, you know, at, you know over the weekend or, you know, at the end of the day, when I get home after I, you know, I've done my, you know, my evening stuff, walking my dog and everything. Yeah. Just kind of having that time to just zone out. For sure. Um, Yeah. So. I honestly thought you was talking about a coloring book. I was like, oh, that's so cute. I used to have coloring books. Yeah. But, uh-huh. you know, there's an app for that now. So. <laughs> <laughs> 2019. Right. Coloring on my iPad. Word. Yeah. So um, I definitely feel like. Mental health is definitely something that, you know, a lot of people don't take as serious as they should. Right. Until, it, you know, they get to a breaking point. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, really, really sad because, you know, not to kind of go off topic, but, you know, in the black community, mental health is a, it's, you know, we don't talk about it. You know, you yeah. always hear about, you know, an older relative who you know, is touched or, Mm. you know, they got that depression kind of thing. That's, you know, I heard that a lot growing up, but, 
you know, you don't talk, you don't go to someone outside of your family to talk about your things. You don't, you know, you don't take medication. You kind of, you, you pray it away or, mm. you know, you mm-hmm. just get over it yeah. kind of thing. So I let def- go and let God. Definitely. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Mm, don't get me started. But yeah. <laughs> so I definitely feel like this is going to be my, you know, infomercial right here. I think everybody needs to go to therapy. That's a fact. Not even if you if you feel fantastic and your life is together and you cool. I still think you should go to therapy. Not because I approve this message. You, not because you need somebody to tell you that, you know, your life isn't great. But just to, you know, have that outlet and to have that space, that safe space to be able to, you know, just unload and unpack some of that stuff that goes on, mm-hmm. you know, in your head. So go to therapy. Um, it's fine. It's not that big of a it's deal. It's great. It's fantastic. Everybody needs to go. And I I have to say, mm-hmm. thank you. Yes. Because you are the reason why I even went and even know where to go. Right. So when you had told me about um, Brandon. Mm hmm. Uh, and then I had him on the podcast. Yep. Episode fifty, mental health is wealth. Great, <laughs> great episode. He is, and he, he's actually my actual therapist. Yeah. And so, and yeah. Brandon is dope. Brandon and then, is dope. And he told me about the Abel Gorley Center mm-hmm. for uh, for healing for healing OHSU uh, downtown, downtown yeah. Portland. And it's is it all? Are they all black? All the Not mental all of health them. professionals? I would say it's like 95, 96% black So it's pretty staff. much black. Mm-hmm. And and it's for us. Right. It is it, for us. It is literally designed for us. Yes. And if you are on Oregon Health Plan, mm-hmm. your sessions are covered under Oregon Health Plan. Yeah. And if we, you identify as black, that is kind of the ooh, right. Yeah. So. Um, Check that box. But it's not like. A Rachel Dozel identify as black. Oh, like it's it. like you're you black. gotta be. Yeah, yeah. So like if you check the box, you know, and then they look at you. Like, right. They're looking at the box, and, and they're like, at you, and yeah. down they glass at the box, and look back at right. you. Right. Right. They were like, so mm. I've been, yeah, I've been at Avel Gorley. I want to say almost four years. Yeah. And I've been um, there for over a year, a little over a year. That's good. Yeah, I think th- I think therapy is dope. Because, like I said, in the black community, ha- mental health is something that, especially among men, um, young men, suicide rates for young men between the ages of, I believe, 12 um, to 40 yeah. is the highest in the country um, because we don't talk about it. Do you notice, you know, ever since we've grown up and people that we went to high school with, like how many dudes is on the street Mm -hmm. that you recognize yep and it's like yo what is going on yeah and it's not and from from like my 0304 on graduating class Mm -hmm. it's a good amount of dudes i'll be seeing walking around the streets i'm just like yo what happened i don't see girl i don't see women walking around the streets Talking mm-hmm. to themselves. That's why, like, at least just our age. Right, right, right. That's all I'm. I can identify with right, right. now. It's a whole bunch of dudes. I'm like, yeah. yo, what is going on with? And it's other dudes that's not walking around the streets, but I know that they have breakdowns mm-hmm. that I went to school with. Yeah. And so it's just it's crazy. There are a lot of 
people who are homeless on the street, mm-hmm. not because of drug addiction, not because they can't get a job, mm-hmm. but because of mental health. For sure. Um, you know, medication is expensive in this country. Not having insurance is very common in this country. Mm -hmm. So when those two things are a factor, your options are very limited on where you can go to get treatment, um, to get medication, to talk to somebody. Um, there, but there are options. Um, the facility that I spent a weekend was called unity. Mm -hmm. It's with, it's partnered with legacy health systems. It's, um, Right over by, what is that? Right be- near um, the Crown Plaza Hotel. Oh, off by of, uh, Lois Center? Uh-huh. Kinda. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right down the street from Wendy's. And y'all, if you're from here, you know what I'm talking about. Word. So, um, it's a great facility. I mean, it's really overwhelming mm-hmm. um, just to be in a place where it's almost like the first part of it is... Um, like an emergency room, mm-hmm. but instead of, you know, physical wounds, it's people who are having, you know, different mental health crisis, mm-hmm. crises, crises. That Cri- sounds right. Yeah. Crises. Crises. Okay. So then, so I spent two and a half days in this emergency room type situation. And then I was moved to a unit, which is smaller. You can, you know, you have a lot more freedom to do things. Um, you can wear your own clothes, which was really nice. Yeah. Um, you can have your phone because when you're in the other unit, you can't have your phone. Not mm. because, you know, they think you're going to call somebody and do something, but it's for the privacy of the other patients that are there. For sure. Um, so, yeah, um, it was hard to, you know, get to that point. But the alternatives are, you know, not great. Yeah. So, yeah, and then there's options. I know a lot of the places you have to have waiting lists or insurance or whatever, but there are places that you can go for immediate help. And one of those places is Unity. One of those other, you know, if you don't want to go somewhere, you can call the Multnomah um, County Crisis Line. It's 24 hours. Mm. Um, my My recommendation to someone who is having a mental health break, whether it's you yourself or someone you know, would be to not call the police because mm. police officers are not equipped to help those with mental health crisis. Yeah. They are there to lock you up, not to lock you up, but to deescalate a situation. Mm. So that mean it might be, you know, me putting you in handcuffs, putting you back in the back seat of a police car. Mm-hmm. But when you're having a mental health break or a mental health crisis, that's not what you need. Right. So, that would be my recommendation is to not call 911, um, not even the non-emergency line because it's going to be the sa- they're police officers. Mm. Um, not So the Multnomah County. Multnomah, Multnomah County crisis line, crisis line, 24 hours, Google it. Um, I don't have the number off the top of my head. It's a 503 number. Yeah, just Google it. Google it. Y'all should um, do it. I'll make sure that Emmanuel posts it. Yeah, I'm a, I'll put it in the show notes for um, those that are here in, but in yeah. Portland, Multnomah County. Yeah, so Multnomah County Crisis Line. There's also a national cri- um, mental health cri- mental health crisis line that I believe you can text mm. and call. That's dope. So there are options, even if you don't want to go anywhere and you just want to talk to somebody. So Yeah, that's good, yeah. man. We got to take care of our mental health, man. Absolutely. We can't continue to 
just disregard it yeah. and try to be tough and all mm-hmm. that. Like getting some therapy is, I mean, it is amazing. And it's not a sign of weakness. No. I think it takes greater courage to say I need help than to and it's go just smart. through it. Yeah. It's just smart. Then, like, yeah. why not? Like, get help. Right. Especially if you got the insurance. Like, I think my copay is like 20 bucks. Yeah. You know, so it's like it's it's worth way more than that. You yeah. Know, this, is, this is our life. You know yeah, what I mean? So exactly. It's like so to pay you, 20 bucks or just not even pay just all it is. Just right. an hour out your day. Right. Go get it done. Yeah. So, and yeah. Have a better life. Avel Gorley is a fantastic place to go to. It is um, like I said, if you have organ health plan, it's covered. Um, if you have, you know, private insurance through your employer, it's usually covered. You mm-hmm. have to figure out, you know where you can go to cover it. But if you just call your insurance, the number on the back of your insurance card, they'll be able to help you. Um, if you don't have insurance, I know um, Avail Gorley has sliding scale depending on how much you wait, make. Mm-hmm. And that can um, determine how much your out-of-pocket costs would be right. as well. So it could be as low as, you know, paying nothing or as high as paying. I believe it's like, it's not, I don't remember. I don't know the rates for every, um, counselor or therapist there but it's there are ways if you if you really want to go for sure yeah inquire and and they'll they'll help you out for sure Mm -hmm. Uh, question number four if you woke up tomorrow Mm -hmm. and found out that you won the lottery for a hundred million dollars how would you spend your money and your time from that day forward man that's a good question um i feel like so I don't know if people know this, but Oregon is a state that you have to publicly collect the lottery winnings. Mm. So like they hold like those, you know, you see them all the time in the press for conferences. Sure. For sure. The big check. The big check. Yep. Um, but you can do it anonymously. Mm. Like you can wear something to cover your face. Oh. So I think my first thing that I would do is hire a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Yeah, obviously I'm cashing my check, going straight you know, to the bank. You know I'm a lawyer, right? You know that. I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all couldn't see my face. I, just, I was I like, just, "What are you talking about?" I just want a little little piece of oh, the check. Oh, so all. you okay? Yeah, I get you. You, I get you can you. hire me, <laughs> and then I'll give it to my dad because my dad is really a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I let him do the work, but like we gonna yeah split that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think that would be. My first thing, my neck, my, what I actually would do with the money would be, you know, I don't know. That's, I don't know. Cause I've never thought that I would ever win the lottery. So mm-hmm. I haven't really thought about it, but it's something that we got to prepare for, man. <laughs> How we like, what does our best life look like? I think my best life looks like me not living in the United States anymore. Okay. What, what country are you going to, or are you going to take a tour? <laughs> um, I think, I mean, my first thought would be like Belize. Mm, that's a good option. Which it's a lot of us down there. It is because um, it's actually um, English is the f- national language in Belize, which is really strange because it is a um, what is the word I'm looking for? A Central, Central American. American country. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think I would. I think Belize, you know, get a little house by the beach mm-hmm. and sip you know some liquored beverage with you know a little umbrella mm-hmm. out of a you know a coconut or a pineapple just, just real yeah just real just chill yeah um i mean 
had you asked me this question like, you know, six months ago, it would have been, you know, bringing my family. Mm-hmm. But mm, they can stay in the states if they want. to. I they, mean, you know, can I can come visit. I, you know, I'll send them up with a little fund. <laughs> but um, yeah, just Word. you know, somewhere tropical, just on an island, chilling. You know, yeah. I mean, I might have to call up Richard Bronson and see if I could borrow his island for you know until I get my life together. I'm sure y'all can make arrangements. You know, yeah. I feel like once you enter that wealth. That mm-hmm. tax bracket, mm-hmm. you know, I got to change my phone number. Wow. So you're just going to be a brand new person. <laughs> we ain't going to know Val. And the thing about I'm it like, is, hey, Val, no, one would even, no one would even know that I'm gone. <laughs> what you mean? I would, so I would anonymously collect my money mm-hmm. and then I'm an, like, I'm out. Oh, you gone. I'm gone. Yeah, I ain't. Mm-mm. Making ain't, no, I'm not making no posts. You ain't, the money phone on Instagram, no, no, okay, because no. uh, I've never really like I, I'm on Instagram, but I'm very particular about what I put on Instagram. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you ain't ever gonna see me with no money phone, you know? Okay, you know, I'm, you know, you not that's mm-mm. not your thing, you know that's what? Not your speed, no, I can dig it. So you know what, Jay? I'm no, not no classy what, stunting, no, no. I feel like I'm. I mean, I feel like I would be more like. You know, I would take the Beyonce Jay Z route where mm-hmm. I'm trying to build generational wealth. Word. Um, How many a, Birkenstocks are you gonna cop though? I'm well. See the the new Birkenstocks that I got. Mm-hmm. So you don't let me finish. Oh my bad. So the one Birkenstocks that I have, the red, you know, the original Arizona ones. Those are there's my hundred bucks. Mm. Got a pair of those. Yeah. But then they got these new ones that are like this, um, almost like plastic like material, but they're mad comfortable. Those are forty. 40 bucks? 40 bucks. Okay. They come in a gang of colors, but they're comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, probably get a couple more pairs of them. Yeah. So, yeah. Just a few boxes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, and where I'm going, I won't need a car, so I don't need to get no Maserati or no Lamborghini. That's a fact. So, yeah. give me just like a little moped mm. to get to the tacos. <laughs> Wow, you are such a tourist. I am. You know, sit, I love sit doing pina coladas and eat tacos. Yeah, just work on my tan. Where? So you know, mm. lay in the sun. Suns out, buns out. Suns out, guns out. Oh, guns. Mm-hmm. But not the buns. Not the buns. Oh, okay. So yeah. All right. Question number five. My All right. favorite. I'm ready. <sighs> what message do you want communicated at your eulogy? Ooh. That's a good question. Mm-hmm. That's a really good question. Um, actually, <laughs> not. I want to say Memorial Day mm-hmm. with the fam, extended family, aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents, my parent, my dad. Um, we were talking about what we want our funeral to look like. Oh wow! Just because my aunt's a nurse and she's kind of morbid sometimes. <laughs> And uh, (laughs) so we were talking about what we want our funeral to look like. And I mean, after I got through like how I wanted people like the processional and, you know, playing some Drake as I walk in. Really? (laughs) At your funeral? Yes. Okay. And then I want everybody to wear white. What song though? What what Drake song? Oh, man. Started from the bottom. No. Because you went up to But like... But started from the earth, no. So I like the Take Care album, but I'm more of a nothing was the same. Okay. So I mean, 
Tuscan Leather, you can in Tuscan Leather is a fantastic intro song. Mm. Um but you gotta play, you know, three oh five to my city. Mm. I mean we can switch that around, five oh three. Yeah, okay. You know, yeah. you know, you might have to put in too much. Mm. Um that's probably gonna be my, you know, the procession outside to outside of the funeral, you know, to go to the burial mm-hmm. plot. They're gonna make everybody cry. You know, that's mm. I want people to cry. Okay. Um, and I want a clear casket because I want everybody to see my shoes. <laughs> <laughs> you are stupid. Something's wrong with you. I've thought about this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then when I'm being lowered into the ground, I want Jeezy to play. Okay. Um, what song? My president's black. <laughs> <laughs> you killing me. Okay. So but, who's okay. who's doing the eulogy and what are they saying? Oh man. If I could pick anybody to do my eulogy, um, not because he's a pastor, but I would want my dad to do my eulogy. Okay. Um, man, I'm about to cry. Oh. Um, if my dad is not available, mm-hmm. um, I would want my younger cousin Monica. Okay. Because besides my dad, I feel like she knows me better than anybody else. Word. And I just, I would rather, I I don't want people like, I know people say this, I don't want you to cry. I want it to be, you know, a celebration, mm-hmm. but I really want it to be fun because I feel like I like to joke and laugh and have fun and I want that to continue. I mean, like we can do like a little stand up kind of little section, you know, have somebody come tell some jokes mm. um, because I just, I want it to be fun. I want it to be remembered mm. as someone who, you know, didn't take life too serious, um, was in the moment, you know, w- whether it's with, you know, friends or family or whatever, just, you know, being completely, you know, focused in on, you know, the people that I'm with For and sure. not necessarily, you know, the stuff that I have or, you know, what it looks like on social media or anything like that. Um, so yeah, I just want to be remembered as someone that had fun, someone that, you know, loved, you know, the people that I, you know, have specifically chosen to be in my life. Um, yeah. And I want, I want my nephew to rap cause he raps now. What? Mm-hmm. So Link. I want him to rap Link yeah. the God. Mm. About to be seven. Wow. I know. That's so so yeah, I just want it to be fun. Um, yeah, just, I want it to reflect my personality, which is, you know, fun, outgoing, you know, just, you know, have, I I always have, everywhere I go, I have a good time. So I just want that to continue. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I got a plus one. Oh. Is that okay? That's fine. If you could choose any one celebrity as your life coach, who would it be? Serena Williams. Wow. That was so quick. (laughs) I didn't finish the question. Listen. Why Serena? Serena is literally my best friend. <laughs> does she know this? Does, does Serena know about y'all's relationship? No. No. Okay. So I just love how unapologetically black Serena is. Where? Serena goes into some of these most prestigious white tennis places, mm-hmm. Wimbledon. Um, Roland Garros, you know, mm-hmm. all these places. And she is unapologetically a South Compton, South L.A. Compton black girl. Mm-hmm. I mean, she crip walked at Wimbledon. So that's a fact. She did. That happened. That's history. So you really can't 
question how black she is. Right, right. So, and not only that, she said something um, after Wimbledon this year. She um, lost to another girl in the final. And um, Billie Jean... Okay, so I like sports, so I'm about to just... Go ahead. Hit us. Billie Jean King was... um, She played tennis. Yeah. Uh, One of the first openly lesbian athletes in mm-hmm. her time in her time mm-hmm. she was outed actually in a lawsuit so it wasn't like she had the choice to come out right. and so billy but billy jean king you know also has kind of a you know like people it's like when you somebody retires and they go back to that person and like oh what did you see you know kind of thing or what would you have done if this was you in this kind of situation and mm-hmm. somebody I don't know what the question was, but Billie Jean King said that Serena Williams spends too much time being a celebrity, being an activist, and she doesn't focus enough on playing tennis. Mm, so one of those shut up and play type things. Right. Mm. She, Billie Jean King hit her with a LeBron shut up and play, shut yeah. up and dribble yeah. moment. So after the match... Um, after that conversation was had with Billie Jean King and whoever she was talking to, I don't know if it was she was sitting in, you know, as a commentator mm-hmm. or whatever. So then it was relayed to Serena in her press conference mm-hmm. what was said. And Serena gave an answer that the day she stops fighting for equality is the day that she's in the grave. Mm. And to me, that's just. If you have a platform where people listen to you, then you need to be doing something with that platform. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about promoting and selling clothes, shoes, or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about using that platform for the advancement of society, for you know having a topic or something that you care about and bringing attention to that topic. Yeah. And a lot of the stuff that Serena talks about is you know, um, gender equality um, and the pay gap and um, feminism. And she talks a lot about just being a black woman Mm -hmm. and, you know, um, just, you know, tearing down and fighting white supremacy, even though she's very privileged. She has a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Um, She also talks about um, women dying in childbirth, Mm -hmm. which happened to her. She almost died giving birth to her daughter and you know, she's a multimillionaire and the doctor didn't listen to her when she was saying that something was wrong, Mm. but she had the, she was privileged enough to have the money and to have the people around her and herself to advocate and say, something's wrong and you need to fix it. Yeah. You need to figure out what it is and fix it. But there are women who don't have that privilege. Yeah. And a lot of that in brown women. Mm-hmm. So stuff like that for her to have that experience. And instead of just being quiet and kind of just going with the flow, she speaks about it. Mm-hmm. She talks about how women are four times, black women specifically are four times more likely than their white counterpart to die in childbirth. That's a fact. In one of the most advanced countries in the world. Mm-hmm. So... So she's not going to just shut up and play. 
Right. She's And so that's the other thing that I like about her and I actually love about her is that she uses her platform to talk about things that happen to everyday people, mm-hmm. which is happening. And it's happening all over the country where women are dying in childbirth. Yeah. And no, nothing's being done about it. Mm-hmm. So when you bring it to attention, then maybe somebody who has some kind of authority in will do something about it. Right. But until then, don't stop talking about it. So Serena, Serena Williams. Man. Serena Williams. Serena, she is Serena. definitely one of the the greatest athletes of all time. Accurate. Like not even not even female. Nah. But accurate. Of all time. Right. Like what she does, like when she was, you know, she had a kid. She's she's been in the game for like what, 15, 20 years. Like she's been doing it for a long time. She played and won an Australian Open twenty weeks pregnant. Wild. That's crazy. Yeah. Like the, her dominance in tennis. Right. Transcend sports though. Over the course of time though. Right. Remember it was Venus first. Mm-hmm. And she was all oh, it was first black girl. But then Serena was not too far after her, but Mm-mm. Serena has been dominating yeah. the game for over a decade. Right. Like I remember at, we when we were kids, mm-hmm. I would you know, I would look forward to watching Wimbledon in the summertime right. on summer break. Right. And I would watch Venus and Serena all the time when I was a child. Right. <laughs> I'm thirty four. She's still right. playing. Like she's she, thirty four. Oh, she's our age. Okay. Yeah. I remember when she was, you know, a teenager. Right. And so it's just like, yo, she's been dominating for twenty years. Absolutely. She's one of the greatest athletes of all time. Absolutely. And she's an amazing person. Absolutely. Easy. Um yeah. Same thing. I feel like what she also has done is bringing attention to the sport mm-hmm. because, like, much like Tiger Woods, no mm-hmm. one was really watching tennis. Like, white people were watching tennis. Hey, I'm gonna be honest. I was. I've been watching tennis since I was like f- forever. See, my, I, my favorite, my favorite dude was uh, Pete Sampras. See, even, I liked, even back in the Andre Agassi day, but Pete right. Sampras was my guy. Goran Ivanisevich. Like, I love watching tennis right. since way back in the but day. But not everybody is like that. Yeah, that's, that's, a, fact. So, that's a fact. So, bringing that attention to a sport um, similar to what Tiger Woods did with golf, no one was doing what either one of them are doing. Yeah. And then you see young girls like Coco Where? who yeah. beat Venus yeah. at 15 right? and then have that amazing match where she came back to beat the girl in the second round. Um, she's 15. Yeah. Little brown girl, yeah. 15 years old, playing against one of her idols. Like, Serena and Venus did that. Yeah, they were they were the blueprint. <laughs> they did that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, I just, yeah, I think they're, I think she's dope. I mean, you can't get much better than wearing Wimbledon white and Crip walking <laughs> after you won. Where? You know, Wimbledon holding a gold trophy, Crip walking down back to your seat. So, I mean, she's just real. She's, I feel like she's herself. Yeah. Um. I mean, as far as I know, I don't know her in my head. I know her. But, yeah, I just feel like she's one of those people that you is authentic. For that sure. Like, you, she might be keeping things to herself, but that's, you know, her privacy. But she shares a lot. And, you know, I feel like she's really authentic. And she's using her voice and her platform. She is. So, yeah, man. can't be mad at that. Yeah, she's awesome, man. She is. Val. What's up? We done did it again. We did it. Man. We did it. I'm so glad you came through. Me too. It's it's so tough. Like, this is the second time where, with this series, I'm talking to people that, that I've known for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess those are the folks that are feeling comfortable enough to sit down with me. Yeah. 
And I'm having some long conversations. Yeah. Like this is. I just realized the time. And I was like, my dog is going to be pissed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hope your house is cool. I hope you didn't tear up the house. He probably but like didn't. It's fine. you, I just talked to my guy, Paul Peters, and uh, I hadn't seen him Not since. Not pal? His name is actually Paul. Oh, okay. Yeah. Just check yeah. him. Just so, check him. Uh, that was a good one. That was a good recall. Uh, you know. But circle, uh, got to bring him back. For sure. <laughs> But, yeah, I talked to him for well over three hours. Yeah. And we almost reached three hours. But mm-hmm. it's just like, it'd be like that. Yeah. When it's the homies. Right. Man. And it's it's real conversation. It's like, the questions you asked me, I didn't know you were going to ask me until I got here. Until we, you know. That was by design. I know. And I feel <laughs> that. And I appreciate that. Yeah. So, because it doesn't feel rehearsed or mechanical. Right. It just feels like we having a conversation and we just so happen to have these microphones and headphones on. Yeah. So, yeah. And honestly, I I didn't have too many questions prepared for you. Mm-hmm. So I like this. I like this series because mm-hmm. it's like there's only I really have like two questions. <laughs> Normally, I have like ten questions ready yeah. for each guest. Right. Uh, I have like two questions, yeah. and then I'm just we gonna play it by ear, right? You know, and just as, right. as we go because everybody's situation is different, so I mm-hmm. can't really prepare. So you can't. Some. Yeah, it's yeah. not gonna be the same thing for each person. For sure. So, yeah. yeah. So, um, any last words for the folks, man? Any last words? Yeah. Yeah. Um, go to therapy. Go to therapy. Um, it's, it's not a bad thing. No. Go to therapy. Um, if you put your hands in running water and rub them together, that's not washing your hands. <laughs> You need soap. Okay. Um, put some soap on your hands. Put some soap on your hands. And um, yeah, just you know, my my aside from the jokes, being serious. Um, I feel like today we live in a society where, you know, everything has to be Instagram worthy, social media mm. worthy. Mm, mm. And we put ourselves in this situation where we're comparing ourselves to other people. Mm-hmm. They may have something that you you want or they may be with somebody that you, you like mm. or, you know, they go on a vacation that you want to go on. Mm, mm, mm. And we stop. We have to stop comparing ourselves to other people because social media, Instagram is fake. Yes. It's I mean, realistically. Somebody will go on a vacation and they'll post those vacation pictures for the next five years <laughs> and be like, throwback Thursday, take me back. Take me back. So, oh, that's funny. So, and I, you know, I make jokes, but I'm being like, my whole thing is you need to surround yourself not only with people, but with what your like your visual intake, your hearing intake with people and things that motivate you to be better that bring that don't bring you stress or anxiety uh, just be around you know people that will build with you people that want to see you succeed people you know that love you when you a hot mess and when love you when you know you out and y'all kicking it and doing all that stuff you want somebody that you can call you know when you just want somebody to come, talk to Word. you want somebody to come over and you know sit on the couch and watch Bob's Burgers with you. That's my jam. So that's what I'm saying. So surround yourself with people and, you know, who you follow on social media, Twitter, Instagram, that, you know, just make you feel good about yourself. That's a fact. Not who, you know, have 
you know, perpetrated this life that they really aren't living because then you want that and you're never going to achieve that because mm-hmm. it's not real. Right. So that's my message. Word. So I could go on a whole sermon about that, but I'll, I'll refrain. <clears throat> but they say that comparison is the thief of joy. Absolutely. Instagram low-key forces you to compare yourself to other Absolutely. people. Absolutely. Therefore... Instagram is the thief of joy, <laughs> so you might just need to get off of Instagram for so a while. So basically, that means Instagram is the devil. No, yeah, Instagram. <laughs> but is I the mean, devil, and y'all. it's okay to take social media breaks. Um, Definitely, I think that's really important for ones. You know, just the times that we live in, where it, everything is instant. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, unplugging and you know, letting your phone die, and you know, getting um, signing out of Instagram and logging off of Facebook or whatever. You know, even if it's for a few hours to, you know, focus on, you know, what's in front of you. Turn your phone off, Mm. you know, and I know that's hard. Oh, my God, you can't turn my phone off. Put it in another room. Leave the house. Yeah. Go outside. Y'all know it's nice outside? It's real nice. It's beautiful. Yeah. Go outside. Word. Yeah. That's the bad. Yeah. Well, y'all heard it from the homie Val Dosta, (laughs) State University. Valerie Jackson. Yeah, and how can how can po- how can folks reach out to you on a social um, or on the socials? So I am only on Instagram. Only on IG. Yes, Valley O'Malley. Mm. Uh, my account is private, so if you request me and I don't know who you are, you mm. might have to send me a DM to let me know that you heard me on the socks and sandals. Word. Let her know. <laughs> let her know. Don't just because you will get rejected. You will real get quick. a delete. Yeah. Because, I mean, that's part of just, you know, how I cultivate Word. what I see. Yeah. So, um, gotta protect your energy. Gotta pro- absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, hit me up, Valley O'Malley. I'm always posting something about something. So, sure. Yeah. And if uh, y'all on iTunes right now, go ahead and hit that five stars real quick. I appreciate that. Leave a comment. Let me know what you thought about the show or what you think about any of the shows that you hear. Uh, hit me on Twitter and Instagram at socks and sandals podcast uh my personal instagram emmanuel since 85 my myspace oh i think it's just emmanuel williams i don't i don't know man i don't know my Can black I- planet <laughs> uh if that's still out there it should be breeze nuts that's <laughs> that's b-r-e-e-e-z-n-u-t-z i believe i don't yes. know if it's still active that's funny um but y'all know what it is it's the socks and sandals podcast where society culture history and religion collide and we unapologetically discuss our worldviews i'll let y'all next week grace and peace <laughs>